0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Premier League Preview. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always previews all the most exciting teams. His name is Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. Hello.
1: Hello and lies. I'm not going to start off with a no but, but I will say that you're a dirty liar.
0: Much like the first guy who went before Indiana Jones, you chose poorly <laughs> when we when we did with Deezer.
1: First of all, can we make me not a Nazi? That'd be fun. <laughs> I was trying. And to second of all, yes, you. I did. Yes, I did. I chose poorly by letting you choose uh, odds or evens because you chose, I think, Arsenal, which meant yep. that you were going first, and then you got all the good teams except for <laughs> Wolves. It's a mentality.
0: glorious. It's a glorious new era, Taylor, where the absence of AFC Bournemouth uh, uh-huh. has removed any conflict from who, who goes first.
1: Yes, it has. Not that I think we ever really had conflict. It's not as though we both showed up with all of the same teams prepared. It just was a debate between two people who, I guess... Enjoy semantics and being technically correct, uh, maybe maybe a little bit too much. But it also meant that we had to make sure
0: we were referring to the same like list of Premier yeah. League teams, mm-hmm. right? Because we could have we could have got we could have gone mm-hmm. wrong. So yes. if people aren't ready today, we are doing what seven teams, the first seven mm-hmm. teams alphabetically. So that's going to be let's go back and forth, Taylor, to give people a fra- a flavour. I'm going to start with Arsenal,
1: Villa, comma Aston, <laughs> Brighton, uh, Burnley, Chelsea. Crystal Palace,
0: Everton, and then we we will say goodbye. But we'll be back day after day this week Mm -hmm. with Premier League previews and, of course, very specific predictions because that's way more fun than just going, I think they'll finish sixth.
1: I agree. I also like that you made it sound like it was going to be like, no matter what, we're going to be back. Like it or not, we're going to be here doing this. <laughs> Buckle up. Listeners. Whether
0: you like it or not.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are going to try to do some specific predictions, uh, some maybe a, a little bit more serious than others for me. Uh, and then a, a good bit of information in there. But worth noting that since the season ended, I think, three hours ago or yeah. thereabouts, we don't get our usual level of they've signed these eight players, except for Chelsea, who have signed, I think, eight or nine or 40 players. Honestly, so I prefer yep. it this way, Taylor.
0: I prefer it this way because I think in all previews, people focus too heavily yeah. on new signings as if sort of, you know, the way they were playing last season and all the things they were doing don't count anymore. All that matters is who you've signed. Um, and I'm going to sound very, very hypocritical when I get around to my Everton preview. I'm going to talk all about Hammers and Alan.
1: See, I think this explains the difference because we talked about this a little bit beforehand and you, I think, sort of had less of an issue with the lack of signings uh, than did I. And I think for me, it's because when I do my predictions and previews, it's usually what did they do last season and what have they done to address their areas of vulnerability or deficiency. And so with my three teams that I'm going to be talking about today, who some of whom did not have the strongest of seasons, it's tough to say they will be better or worse because (laughs) they're still just sort of the same.
0: Yep. Well, it's Project Restart gave everybody a bit of a reset,
1: right? True. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. when we
0: talk about Aston Villa, I at least want to ask you, like, what did they fix in Project Restart mm-hmm. to drag themselves out of the relegation zone and stop conceding all those goals, right? So problems were fixed, like, between uh, between March and June, essentially, yeah. in the, the extra season break that we had. Before we get to our team, Taylor, there's a bit of, I guess we call it Premier League non-news. It's a thing that's mm-hmm. not going to happen that was going to be very exciting <laughs> in the Premier League this season. It's a Leo Messi transfer update, Leo Messi is staying at Barcelona for the upcoming season. He essentially said um, he realised that it was going to go to court because of the debate over whether he was allowed to leave for free or for €700 million. Um, And he decided he didn't want to take Barcelona to court. So he's just staying for the whole year.
1: I like to think that it was because he knew that I was going to be previewing Manchester City and he didn't want to give me the opportunity to talk about Lionel Messi at Manchester City and what that might mean. So then he did the U-turn once he found out that order of operations.
0: (laughs) What do we make of this? Like, Like, for example, I look at it as... Bartomeu was just so determined to not be the guy that let Messi leave he was Mm -hmm. he was willing to take to you know go to court with Messi and I still I still think if Bartomeu wasn't just putting his own reputation first it would have been the smart thing to get 100 million euros for Messi get his wages off the books start Mm -hmm. the rebuilding process especially if he's leaving for free next summer anyway
1: yeah I think we talked about this a little bit and that's my confusion is the idea that like Messi wants to leave because he doesn't like what the board under Bartomeu has been doing. So Bartomeu refusing to let him go so he can say, I'm the one who kept Messi here against his will. (laughs) Like, it doesn't really make a whole bunch of sense to me. But that said, I have been saying since the beginning, it seemed unlikely to me that he was going to move. And I do think some of that was rooted in just that Lionel Messi is Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona is Lionel Messi, and they seem very much a circle. But I think it's also that as soon as he doesn't exercise that clause in June, I understand why he thought there might be extenuating circumstances. I understand why he thought he might be able to get out of it. But I'm going to guess once he sits down with his lawyers and they say, like, yeah, this is binding. And (laughs) like the best you're going to be looking for is a prolonged court battle. That's where I think you get him thinking. That's not really how I want to end this. I also don't want to get caught up in a saga. And I also think, again, from a practicality standpoint, Man City, if they're potentially going to be on the hook for not just his salary, but then a 700 million euro transfer fee. I doubt they're going to run that risk of signing him
0: because they can afford it technically but they can't afford it financial fair play wise
1: yeah right? exactly and 700 the million other- they can afford not 1.4 billion
0: yeah and the other thing is if you're leo messi um when you go to court your stepovers aren't any good there they don't work here mate. exactly yeah exactly. upon.
1: yeah you have to do more work <laughs> you have to track back to do your own defending it's a whole thing
0: <laughs> um one other bit of premier league news the premier league teams voted to do away mm-hmm. with the five subs so we are back to the regular um three subs per game are we thumbs up or thumbs down on this taylor
1: I mean, I think you you can guess what my answer is going to be. This feels like another great example of the Premier League deciding to do something short-sighted and stupid. Uh, This, I think, coincides to me with them deciding to to close the transfer window before everybody else. I think you were more in favor of that than I was, but that always seemed like a strange decision.
0: They immediately...
1: Yeah, you know who didn't love it is all the Premier League teams who immediately reversed that decision. <laughs> this feels like the same thing where many other leagues, the Bundesliga specifically, uh, are keeping that fifth sub rule. The Premier League is not. And I, and I think I will be sad about that, to be honest, because there's some players who I'm not sure will get minutes that they would have gotten with two more subs.
0: Yeah, plus everybody's squad is massive now, right? You kind mm. of need five subs to get all these players some, some minutes.
1: Yeah. Were you surprised? I guess I'm not really, but from what I read and what I heard, it sounds like it was pretty much broken down to big clubs voted in favor, small clubs voted against.
0: So yeah, there's an argument in England. I hear this from all my English friends, actually, that they all feel that it disadvantages the smaller teams because the bigger teams have more quality they can bring on with five subs than the smaller teams do, which I don't really buy that argument because you, you still like want to refresh legs right and it's not as if you're bringing on people who've never played football before
1: yeah and to be honest i think of it more as if you're a large team and you're bringing on those remaining players i feel like oftentimes it means you're chasing the game you're trying to make something happen you're going with an even more aggressively attacking formation and if you're a smaller club who are maybe playing more of a defensive system what you can then do is swap in more players and give you fresh legs so you can yeah. continue to be as aggressively defensive and working just as hard. Yeah, It makes sense to me to keep those five subs, but I guess uh, they did not agree with me. They did not hire me for my uh, consulting opinions. <laughs> well, we'll
0: talk about Burnley, uh, the fourth team on today's <laughs> show. Um, are you ready to get started then, Tyler? And I'll, I'll I kick us I off with Arsenal.
1: By all means, I thought it was, I was going to try to find a way to make it me first. But yes, it's Arsenal.
0: <laughs> you can do AFC Bournemouth if you like.
1: It's it's actually AA a. Aston Villa. They changed their name, so double A means I go first.
0: The AA Aston Villa Ardvax.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> You've heard of them. I sure have. They're but very bad.
0: Let's start with Let's start with Arsenal. Let's start okay. with Arsenal. I want to start by saying I think people who've been listening to the show for a while will know that I love this team under Mikel Arteta. I love I love the positional play. I love that they take outrageous thrilling risks packing out of passing out of the back um i i love that the way they just go for it here's my first prediction in one game this season probably in multiple games arsenal will both concede a goal from trying to play out of the back and score a magnificent goal where they pass it all the way from the goalkeeper on his own line all the way up the field and score
1: and I hope for match of the day purposes, it's in the same game. Because that would be terrific yes. to get. You really do get the breakdown of here's why it's good, here's why it's bad. Oh, and that's,
0: this is my prediction. This will happen in the same game. I mean, oh, nice. definitely awesome. one will happen and the other will happen. But I'm predicting that it will happen in the same game at some oh, point. Oh, sorry.
1: Okay. I missed that. And now I'm even more excited for yeah. it to happen.
0: It's a bold prediction, right? It's a nice,
1: bold prediction. <laughs> So, so do you think they will be as I was? I think more inclined to uh, to like stick the knife in on their defensive efforts last season. Do you think they're going to be better this time around? or Do you think we'll still see a lot of those same mistakes?
0: Oh, should we talking like the David Luiz errors and all that? Yeah, um, I mean, this is where we have got to talk about signings, right? Mm-hmm. Arsenal have signed Gabriel. Magalhaj, let's call him Gabriel. Um, <laughs> they've got young William Saliba, who they signed last season and sent back on loan to St. Etienne, um, is now back. I think just those two are a massive, massive upgrade in Arsenal's defence, right? Mm. Uh, both, both can cover a lot of ground. Both are really comfortable um, on the ball. And with the way that Arsenal press, because this is the other big thing about Arsenal, they press very, very, very high, right? They send a lot of people forward, you kind of need guys who can cover ground to uh to deal with anything that comes over the top or any time that that press gets gets broken right and you also need defenders that can play out of the back and from what I understand uh Saliba and Gabriel are both pretty fine uh with their feet so this is a massive upgrade for Arsenal and it makes me feel really good about what's going to happen with Arsenal's defending It'll, there'll be no more of the uh Socrates and David Luiz uh, central defensive partnership
1: I like the idea of Mikel Arteta auditioning like who's going to get to start in that first game between the two centre-backs by having uh, the two is it Saliba? Saliba, yeah, uh, William Saliba. Okay. Yeah. I always want to make him Sadiba, but it's yeah, Saliba and Magalhaes. I want them on one side, and like David Luiz and Scroda Mustafi on the other. <laughs> it's like okay, run a hundred yard sprint. We'll see who wins first. The first two make it across, and then David Luiz and Mustafi just run into each other and fall <laughs> over like ten yards in. Yes. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's the way it would go. And
0: if we're going to talk about Arsenal's defense for a second, for me, the really interesting piece of this is Kieran Tierney, mm-hmm. right? So sort of signed as a left back. But he found real success, and Arteta found real success, playing Tierney as left centre-back in a back three, who also sometimes shifts over and plays left-back because that formation shifts around so much. Um, I think they've sort of accidentally found a great left centre-back in Kieran Tierney.
1: I agree, and I think there were some injury issues there. It took him a little bit of while, a while to get going, but it does seem like now with a full preseason such as it is under Mikel Arteta, and I think with more familiarity with him, it does seem like he would be a key performer for them, provided he stays healthy and happy.
0: Healthy and happy indeed, Mm Taylor. So I want to do my first prediction about Arsenal's defence then. Um, Oh, boy. Gabriel, the aforementioned Gabriel, the new signing who has come in from, I believe, Lille, um, will not concede a penalty for handball. (laughs) Will not give away a penalty (laughs) for handball. I think you already know why, right? Because when we talked about um, the signing, whenever you watch highlights of him, he is Mm. a master of hands-behind-the-back defending. He will come out, close you down, even tackle the ball or block your shot – always with his hands behind his back, which one means he has great balance. So it talk, it sort of um, informs us about what he's really good at. But two, it means he's just never, ever taking that risk.
1: Yeah, and I also noticed with him that in a lot of the clips, every now and then you'll see that like very quick cut of like a player like making a really good defensive play, sliding in or poking the ball away, and if you watch the longer clip, it's them giving the ball away and then having to make that play up or getting beat the first time but then making up the ground. With him, you don't really see that because it seems like he does a very good job of sort of containing, slowing down, yeah. not diving in, not getting beaten, and thus not putting himself in those positions where then he's flailing limbs about and could conceivably concede a penalty.
0: And on that note, I'm not even going to predict a David Luiz high-profile error because mm-hmm. it's, it's just a thing, right? It's just a thing <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, yeah. Uh, the other things I love about Arsenal, um, especially under Arteta, is the number of young English players that are getting a chance, right? So we're talking Ashley Maitland-Niles will probably be the left. Ainsley. Wing
1: back. You're always going to call him Ashley, aren't you? I am,
0: I'm, I'm, I I apologise. <laughs> Ainsley, Maitland-Niles. Um, Bukayo Saka. Um mm-hmm. seems to always be involved. Reese Nelson,
1: heavily involved. His name is Brian Saka, by the way, Daryl. Come on
0: now. <laughs> Reese Nelson, I really like. And Eddie Nketiah yeah. seems to have established himself as just a rival for Lacazette at centre-forward.
1: Yeah. Right? Which, There's which... barely
0: a pecking order. It's just one or the other starts, Nketiah or Lacazette.
1: Which you wouldn't really have expected, but I think that's kind of part and parcel of what Mikel Arteta has done, right? It's sort of, give everybody a chance, open it all up, see who's going to compete, give everybody a chance, and then at the end of it, Mesut Ozil is still nowhere to be found.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about him in a minute.
1: I um, assumed we would.
0: But I have a prediction for Enketia and Lacazette.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, is this prediction number
0: three? Yes, either okay. one or both of Enketia and Lacazette will score a goal by tackling the goalkeeper. And this is testament Hmm. to Arsenal's very, very high press and the fact that Nketiah did it once already after Project Restart.
1: I will, I will go so far as to extend that to if they don't score directly themselves, it will be them putting pressure on it. It's like a heavy touch from a goalkeeper that somebody else passes in. But it's the same basic idea, right? That they're so good at applying that pressure, it's going to cause problems.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. But I'm, I'm going all in on Enketiah, just tackling a goalkeeper okay. and straight right. up scoring. Go on. Um, speaking of scoring, I want to get to my big prediction, right? This oh is my big, big prediction. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will be top scorer in the Premier League. Wow, okay. He nearly did it last year. I think he was just one short uh, behind Jamie Vardy, one ahead of Danny Ings. But the big thing I think I went on and on about when we reviewed Arsenal um, under Arteta is they have all the positional play. They work it out from the back. But the big goal seems to be get Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang away. Down that, like, you know how he sort of cuts inside from the left flank and ends up approaching the goal At that angle, diagonal angle from the left flank, which seems to be just his absolute dream space. Um, Arsenal do a great job of just making sure that Aubameyang gets in those spaces. They do things like having the number nine and Ketia or Lacazette, um, you know, dragging a defender out of the way, so coming deep and deep and deep, and then Aubameyang bursts into that into that little bit of space. And that they have the wing back uh, Maitland-Niles, for example, will hold the width so that Aubameyang isn't responsible for that. Um, So I think. Aubameyang will keep exploiting that channel and Arsenal will keep trying to exploit that channel. And so I think he'll just keep scoring and scoring and scoring and scoring. Two extra reasons. He signed the new contract semi-recently, right? So he's now, he's not agitating for a move. He's going to be there till 2023. He is fully happy, fully focused. Plus, I'm pretty sure he's Arsenal's penalty taker, so he's going to have that as like the uh, the gravy on top as well.
1: I take it you don't buy into the Bill Simmons theory that like once it's it's always better to be in your contract year because then you're trying to prove that you deserve the contract versus once you've signed it, maybe you slack off a little bit. You don't feel that way about him, I'm guessing. I mean,
0: I mean, how deeply does Bill Simmons really think about these things? Very little. Yeah. He brings them up as talking points,
1: right? You mean uh, Tottenham superfan Bill Bill Simmons? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know.
0: So yeah, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for top scorer. I also want to just pause for a second and ask you, Taylor. Yeah. Do you trust me as an honest man? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, I like to think that I've established a reputation for never being dishonest, especially not on the Total Soccer Show. I came up with this prediction, my very first prediction. I was very, very proud of it, typed it up and everything. And then I listened to BR football ranks. Uh Uh-oh. And Sam Ty predicted the exact same thing.
1: Sam Tai also has that like iPhone technology where they listen to your conversations at all times. So you should have known that. Once you have an interview with Sam, you are obligated to let him steal all of your information. Oh, so I, don't I was know if you do that. I was tapped. Yes. To. But just yeah. if anyone hears
0: BR Football ranks and hears Sam make that prediction, I want to just make very clear that we arrived at this independently.
1: I also. I'm not going I think th- we should go one step further and just straight up accuse him of hacking and have our listeners <laughs> message him accordingly and see how confused he gets.
0: Well, he actually, he was braver than me. He predicted Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang by five goals or more. I am not going that far.
1: All right. So it sounds then like both of you are pretty up on Arsenal. Um, I, I won't go like, with the standard, like, will they make top four? But if you had to go with a category, would you say they are much better, better or about as good as last year?
0: Um, well, last year's weird, right? Because there's an Unai Emery phrase, phase. Under Arteta.
1: Let's go with under Arteta. Under Arteta. Yeah.
0: I think they'll be as good as they were under Arteta in the very final part of the season, essentially when okay. they won the FA Cup.
1: which is, So then consistently better, but as good at the end.
0: Y- yes, Yeah, gotcha. Um, I think the the longer that the the players are playing under Arteta's system and being coached into what he wants them to do, the more you see it, right? The more you see, for example, that Aubameyang space being exploited. I think they're going to be a very, very good team. I still think there are problems, right? I think Mm -hmm. um, adding Gabriel and William Saliba is great, but you've still got David Luiz, you've still got Socrates, you've still got um, uh, Mustafi as a potential Mm -hmm. problem. I also don't think Mikel Arteta is fully thrilled about his central midfield. Right. It's uh, Sabayas and Shaka seems to be his first choice pairing. Shaka doesn't cover that much ground. Right. But he's very nice at spraying passes around. And then beyond that, like he's not happy with Gundizi. He um, seems to want Mesut Ozil to leave, I think. Right. Mesut Ozil didn't play, I don't think, at all after Project Restart. Still has one year on his contract for a lot of money. Lucas Torreira, I'm not sure how much Arteta likes. He did he did play him a lot at the start, and I think maybe I can't remember if it was injuries or if he didn't like him when he stopped. He stopped playing him, but I I would argue that I um, think it was not
1: liking, as I recall.
0: The rumours linking Arsenal with, for example, Thomas Partey, seem to indicate that Arteta believes, probably correctly, that they're missing something, some sort of like dominant figure in central midfield.
1: Which, I mean, I think you could argue they are, if, yeah. if that's starting midfield. Like Ceballos, I'm assuming they got him permanently, or is that another loan?
0: Another year loan, yeah. So second yeah. year on loan from Real Madrid.
1: I think Denny Ceballos is phenomenal. I Same. think that's a really smart signing. But still, Ceballos and Shaka, and to some extent, like, like Gabriel, for example, they're better and they're very good, but it's still not that like, oh, yeah, that's the best in the Premier League. They're going to be up there competing for that top spot yeah. sort of level. They're better, but it still doesn't necessarily make you feel probably supremely confident if you're an Arsenal fan going up against City or, or uh, Liverpool. Exactly, yeah. Uh,
0: one guy I haven't mentioned is Willian. I feel like he's worth a mention because oh, I yeah. think he's an upgrade on Pepe. As that
1: right winger, and
0: so they'll have lots of options. It'll probably be Willian and Pepe, maybe just uh, trade enough, right? And mm-hmm. whichever one Arteta thinks is is best for that moment. But I think I'm on record as saying that I still really, really rate Willian, and a lot of the talk about him being in decline, I I don't buy. I think by the end of his three-year contract, he'll be in decline, and they'll be paying him too much. But this upcoming season, I think he'll be doing just fine for them. Cutting inside think s- and shooting.
1: I do believe that, that clubs will leak stuff. Agents certainly will as well. I do think some of that talk of decline was maybe utilized by Chelsea as a way to cushion the fact that he was leaving and not being given a new deal. And I think in contrast to what we were talking about with Yang signing a new deal, I personally feel like Willian is going to have a chip or two, both of them blue-colored, on his shoulders. <laughs> and you'll use them to dribble at people. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. The final thing I want to talk about is Mesut Ozil. I don't have a prediction because I have no idea what's going to happen. He's mm-hmm. either gonna be back in the first team or he's gonna be gone by October, maybe to like a uh, like Qatar or Saudi Arabia where they're just willing to pay crazy, crazy wages and matches money. But there's also rumors that um There are rumours that it was refusal to take a wage cut is what led to him being out of the team. There's also the straightforward explanation that Arsenal kept giving at the time that Mesut Ozil had back trouble, which is always the one that's hard to believe because it's hard to prove. It's hard to medically prove, right? So I don't know how honest Arsenal and Mesut Ozil were about his injury problems or how much it was a dispute about trying to get his wages down. And I don't Mm. know how much Mikel Arteta likes him.
1: I, I hope that they just keep signing him and he just stays there forever under employment. And it's a little bit like Jack Torrance in The Shining. He's just been here since the beginning and he'll be there always. He's never going to leave Arsenal. I mean, Mesut Ozil.
0: that would be nice and creepy, but I'd prefer see like seeing Mesut Ozil do his thing, right? While he still can. I want to say he's 31 now, so he's got a little time.
1: When's the last time you saw Mesut Ozil do his thing? That's my response to that it's statement. It's been a while, Taylor. It's been yep. a while. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there you all go.
0: Right. Those are all my Arsenal predictions and ponderings. That's what I'm going to call right. that.
1: I'm going to guess that Daryl's predictions and ponderings will be slightly longer than the ones that I'll be doing today, at the very least. Uh, especially since I think. Did you have four or five predictions in there? A uh, hundred. <laughs> uh, well, before we talk about Aston Villa and my. I've got a couple predictions for them. Should we talk about today's sponsor?
0: Yes, please. Today's show is sponsored by Policy. Genius. Mm-hmm. Policy Genius always have some nice timely copy for us, right? And Policy Genius would like people to know that September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. I did not know that. Um, but with everything going on right now, a lot of people aren't even aware it's possible to buy life insurance at all. I've got to say, mm-hmm. I was. I didn't think there was any life insurance uh, suspension. There's no transfer window for life insurance, right? You can buy all year round, just like in the good old days when Man United signed Andy Cole in the middle of the season.
1: So I did not know that Policy Genius was going to be a sponsor on today's show, or even this week. But I will say, I thought about them this weekend because we were uh, having some socially distanced drinks with some neighbors of ours, and there was a conversation about how uh, term life insurance is so incredibly important. And neither my wife nor myself knew what term life insurance meant, and I just kept sort of making myself feel better by thinking, "But Policy Genius probably knows. They're the experts. They'll make it simple." That is genuinely how I sort of dealt with that one. Was like, you know what? I'll just go to Policy Genius. They've got the experts. They're an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. That's from the copy. I didn't know that off the top of my head. Uh, But that is the case.
0: And you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. You go to Mm -hmm. policygenius.com and then in minutes you can work out how much coverage you need and you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Then you apply for your lowest price and the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape from there.
1: Or your medium price, if you want to go that way. If you yes. don't want the highest or the lowest, the most medium, also fine. <laughs> uh, but either way, Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. And they will at Policy Genius.
0: So all you have to do is basically go to policygenius.com, right? This isn't um, yep. an advertiser that uses a discount code or anything like that. You just They just want you to go to policygenius.com and have a look at the life insurance quotes.
1: All right. So thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode. Daryl, shall we talk Aston Villa?
0: Yes, I have seven predictions for Aston Villa. Would you like to hear them? Sure, go ahead. (laughs) My, My first one is I'm going to turn it over to you.
1: Okay. I was wondering how long we were going to go with this one. Uh, Daryl, I I look forward to your thoughts on Villa because I know you've got some friends who are big fans of them. Yeah. Uh, For people who forgot, they stayed up on the final day of the season by one point. uh, It was a heroic struggle that culminated in Tweet Caroline in the locker room. Did you talk to your friends about that one? Were they okay with the -the over-the-top celebrations?
0: I I don't think it could have been any. There was no over-the-top, right? Okay. Let's celebrate, yeah.
1: So they didn't go the Roy Keane route of, of not enjoying it at all.
0: No, I mean, it's something to celebrate, right? Because it didn't look yeah. for a while like Vela were really in trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they survived by the skin of their teeth, a phantom goal that shouldn't have been, and the skill of Jack Grealish. <laughs> uh, this time round, I think they're looking at last season as maybe... No, wait, more... wait,
0: it's a goal that should have been, right?
1: Is that what it was? Yeah, I Sheffield th- I United remember. had okay. the
0: ball over the line, but Hawkeye disagreed because Hawkeye was crowded out by too many bodies.
1: Sure. Or not turned on. We're not really sure what it was. Uh, But either way, uh, I think the kind of consensus opinion during and at the end of the season was that it did not need to be that difficult. They spent between 130 and 140 million pounds in transfers last year under sporting director Jesus garcia Pizarch, aka Suso. Suso is the easier one to go with. He brought in 12 players, not a lot of whom really found success. And that's where they kind of started the changes this time around. They have a new sporting director, Johan Lang from FC Copenhagen. They've brought in Craig Shakespeare, who's a Boyhood Villa fan. That seems to be the major qualifier for being a Villa coach these days <laughs> was, did you support them? Robbie Keane, I think, next to join the managerial staff <laughs> in that round? regard So I think he they're approaching for them. This He
0: went on loan for a little bit and played for them.
1: Yeah, there you go. They're his, one of his fourteen thousand boyhood clubs. <laughs> um, but I think. They're kind of looking at this because they have the money from their ownership group. They're they're not so concerned about keeping things on a tight budget. I feel like what they're doing now is sort of looking at how can we be a more stable Premier League club. I think they've seen that first season. They feel like they have what they need to be able to be a consistent Premier League team again. And I think that's what they're going to be doing. I think that's where Johan Lang comes in. They haven't really done much in terms of signings. And I think a big reason for that is because they haven't yet lost Jack Grealish. We don't know what will happen there in the long run, but as of now, he is still with Aston Villa, and that factors into my first prediction, which is that Jack Grealish will be fouled, fouled fewer times this season than last campaign. Why so? Because okay, a couple things. Uh, I should note he set a record for most fouls suffered in a game—nine uh, against Chelsea some some foul merchants over at Chelsea but fouled consistently throughout the year and I think there's a couple reasons for that one he might move <laughs> so I feel like it's a safe prediction even if he's not at Villa because if he's somewhere else maybe less of the ball maybe he's less critical in a stronger team yeah. but I think if he stays and this is something that you talked about earlier that Villa really not doing very well in the beginning of the season they have the break they figure th- some things out they change some things up and they find more success once the restart occurs and I think they want to continue that trend a big part of that was Yeah, what did they finding- change?
0: This is what I was really interested in. What mm-hmm. did they change during project restart?
1: Well, I think so what they to talk about what they changed, we have have to first look at what they were doing. And I think coming out of the championship their approach was to not necessarily press, but to try to hit on the break, to try to counter quickly. So also not really sitting in. It was sort of a mixed approach across the board, but it was a lot of get numbers forward, commit to getting numbers forward into the attack and try to create chances. The try being the operative term. Yeah, there because do you know what? they know so,
0: Sorry to interrupt, but I remember a very specific game. I think it was against Tottenham where Villa mm-hmm. had taken the lead. Um, they conceded an equaliser, but it looked like they were going to get a point and they conceded the losing goal, I really remember this because I remember texting Villa fans about it, was Jack Grealish received the ball at the top of his own box and tried to dribble away in like the 87th minute or something, Mm -hmm. got tackled, and then Spurs scored again.
1: So keep that in mind, because that also factors into my my prediction a little bit. But yes, what kept happening was that they would get caught out, they would commit too many numbers or too many people out of position. The old adage of you're most vulnerable when you yourself are counterattacking and then you get counterattacked upon that counterattack pretty relevant to Aston Villa so in the restart they were much more content to sit deeper they weren't trying to get commit numbers forward. they were okay with it being a draw and then they were okay with trying to snatch chances on set pieces from corners or when Jack Grealish gets fouled near the goal have a shot have a ball into the box and see what happens I think this year or th- this time round, I think they're More okay with a defensive approach, but simultaneously, I think they don't want it to just be Jack Grealish. They have prioritized signing more attacking signings. They have not yet done that, (laughs) but they are looking to do so. I think they want to kind of evaluate where they stand once the season gets going. Their only major signing so far is Matty Cash, who's a right back, uh, which should be of impact, but certainly won't help them score any more goals. But I think what they want to do is have Grealish less on the ball unless he needs to be. Which isn't to say that like, they don't want him to have it, but what the example you used is sometimes the consensus opinion was that he can maybe dawdle on a little bit. He can try to do too much. He can yeah. try to do a step over when there's a pass on and in that scenario, he gets tackled, sometimes he gets fouled, but it leads to opportunities for the opponent. And I think what Dean Smith wants him to do is move the ball a little bit more quickly, at least until they get into the opponent's half and then he can try some stuff once Villa are in a more stable defensive position position
0: so is this a theory that you have or have you seen quotes from the the manager dean smith saying this is what we're going to do like what are you basing this on
1: Mostly on the idea that like Jack Grealish cannot have another season like he had, I think, where he is the kind of only player on the ball for Villa who's capable of creating or consistently creating. But I think also he physically can't handle the number of kicks. And that is something that Dean Smith talked about, was that they're not sure they can kind of put him through the rigors of such a physically demanding season again. So if they're not going to sign a bunch of people, I think that requires them to move the ball faster. So that's also part of where I'm connecting the dots, basically. Yeah. Trying to, at least. Trying to. Uh, But I think another thing that I'm sort of getting at here is, though there will be some changes, though they were stronger at the end of the season, I don't think I would say that they are – considerably stronger or even much stronger than they were uh, when last we saw them. And they still have a lot of the same issues. Tom Heaton is out until at least October with an ACL injury. So too is Wesley, who they signed to be their major goal scorer. Yeah. 22 million pounds. But uh, I think the stats bomb thing I saw was one goal from 1.5 shots per 90 minutes. So fewer than two shots. Uh, not really doing a great job in those 90 minutes. Uh, he's really kind of struggling to create, struggling to get goals. I think he only had five before he gets injured. So they have injuries. Was, they don't have many it was goal like scores. a target
0: man from what I remember, though. Mm-hmm. So he did have that yeah. going for him.
1: He did have that, but when you're spending... A decent chunk of change yeah. for a, a goal-scoring striker to for them to be the like decent target man is probably not what you want to go to yeah. so with that in mind what I would say my other prediction is that if things stay as they are Villa will be in or near the relegation zone for most of the first half of the season but I do not think they will ever consider sacking Dean Smith I asked you about this and what your friends thought of Dean Smith just to make sure I was on the right track and I felt like your answer made me confident
0: yeah, my answer was basically that there was no talk of sacking him even when they were in the relegation zone. Right. Dean Smith's a Villa fan, and Villa fans love him.
1: Exactly. I think the story that I saw from three different articles about him was that he was there when they were like, last in a European Cup final as a child, and he has loved them always, and, and I think that's part of it. But I also think, as I said earlier, that Suso, the former sporting director, was the one whose fingers were pointed at. Yes. It wasn't Dean Smith. It wasn't shortcomings in his coaching staff. It was... Uh, kind of intermittent, not necessarily logical recruitment that did not make the team strong enough for that first Premier League season. And, even if they signed a new sporting director, if they're not bringing in considerable new faces, I think I've seen people saying they need four or five even six signings to really make fans feel stable. I don't think then, even if they continue to struggle, you can point the finger at Dean Smith this time around. So I don't think they're going to be much better, at least not until October when maybe they know exactly what will happen with Jack Grealish. Maybe they bring in a few more players. Maybe Tom Heaton comes back and that's where I think maybe they, they start to turn it, turn it around. But I will not be surprised if after the first five weeks or so, they are bottom of the table or near to it
0: so I also want to talk about some other the Villa players if you don't mind because I know Jack sure. Grealish obviously gets all the attention because he is a, a real mm-hmm. talent and kind of enjoyable to watch but Douglas Luiz is a midfielder mm-hmm. I know Villa fans love and every time I see him he's a really classy um, like the type of player that Pep loves sitting at the bottom mm-hmm. of midfield being the distributor and I do know that uh, Man City had a quite cheap buyback clause when they sold him to Aston Villa and there were, there were rumblings that Man City were going to buy him back and then sell him on for more and essentially just make a profit on him that way. Um, So I'm guessing you've been following the Villa transfer news. Is Douglas Mm Luiz still there at Villa?
1: Still there at Villa. Still likely to be the starter. Still likely to be one of their most important players in that midfield. And you're absolutely right to talk about Douglas Luiz because he had... A not as strong start, but a very good finish to the point where, as you said, Man City, yes, looking to bring him back and maybe sell him on for more, but also maybe, just maybe, like giving a little bit more midfield depth, they would have minded sitting on him there, but they end up not pulling that trigger, which I think is very good for Villa. I think where I am with it is that like I don't have really much concern about that midfield. I think they've got uh, some strong defenders. Obviously, Tyrone Ming's a major performer for them last season. Yeah. I just still don't know where the goals are going to come from. And if Jack Grealish isn't there, if he does end up moving on, I really don't know where the goals are going to come from. So, the ideal hope <laughs> would be that maybe Indiana Vasilev <laughs> is one of the places where the goals come from. And that is another reason why I'm sort of depressed oh. about the five-sub rule. Because I, I was kind of joking.
0: I, I didn't think the goals were going to Actually, come from Indiana Vassilev?
1: They do not have many goal scoring options. They do uh, not have many strikers. And especially due to the injury to Wesley, they really don't have the depth that they had even at the start of the season. So I think we're going to see him get some chances in early games. I do. I think it'll be similar to Tim Weah when he first signs for Rennes. Was it Rennes or Lille? I Lille. always forget. Thank you. uh It's a one syllable French team. Uh, but here, I think we'll probably see Indiana Vassilev get. 10 and 15-minute cameos, like a couple of those in the first 5 to 10 games. And then I think those fall off considerably. I think if they had a couple more subs, maybe we see more of him. So that is one thing I'm sad about. But for American interests, there is that to ponder when you think about Aston Villa.
0: All right. Anything else to ponder with Aston Villa?
1: If Dean Smith were to be let go, if something doesn't work out, if he gets frustrated and walked away... I think this isn't even a prediction. It's just more of a thing that makes a lot of sense because Villa to me are now moving towards prioritizing stability. They want to in in terms of they want like long-term development investment where they can develop a player and sell them on later. It's not just about signing a 16-year-old, playing them for 3 years and then hoping they can make that money. Obviously, they want to have success, but they want to be able to kind of recruit, develop, build up their academy system. I think that Sean Dyche would be a very good manager if Dean Smith left. Because as when we get to Burnley, we'll talk about it. It's kind of the exact same conversation we always have about Burnley of, is Sean Dyche, like, are are they where they are? Are Can they get any better? Is he going to walk away? What's going to happen with them? Villa feels like a step up in terms of have significantly more money and could kind of prioritize that development a thing that Burnley had been doing I think he could be a very good manager for them but obviously Dean Smith could be as well but that is a thing I, I, I think could be very interesting but I don't think I, happens at least not until January
0: my understanding is if Dean Smith ever gets fired then probably mm-hmm. John Terry steps up and gets his first head coaching job
1: or Craig Shakespeare, who's there now. But, yeah, no, it's John Terry.
0: Yeah, It's, it's definitely John be. Terry.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Although he has been a, a really good assistant in terms of mm-hmm. that he's deliberately not agitated for the head coach job, right? He's been happy to be mm-hmm. Dean Smith's assistant coach, despite having a much, much, much higher profile.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... I John Terry versus Frank Lampard. I I don't know who I back. I back Frank Lampard. Never mind. I take it back.
0: <laughs> well, if, especially if Frank Lampard. managing Chelsea and John Terry has Aston Villa. Yeah, right?
1: and if and if yeah, Frank Lampard has um, who's the uh, Kai Havertz and John Terry is starting Mabuana Samata while Wesley recovers. Yeah, yep. I think I think I know where I'm giving the edge on that.
0: Well, more on Chelsea later. Are you ready to talk Brighton?
1: Let's do it. All right.
0: So I overlooked Brighton and Hove Albion last season. But I think something really interesting was going on there. And I wanted to kind of um, check this with you, Taylor. Did you pay much attention to Brighton last season? Nope. No, yeah, same. Okay, here's what's going on there. Graham Potter replaced Chris hutton at the start of last season. And if you don't know about Graham Potter, he's a youngish English coach who went and made a name for himself playing very attractive football in Sweden and then did the same with Swansea in the championship. And then Brighton essentially took a chance on him as a young progressive manager. And what Graham he was Potter is—he was sacked
1: by Swansea, right? Excuse me. He was sacked by Swansea, right? No,
0: I think he was uh, like poached by Brighton. Either way, he's the Brighton coach right now. <laughs>
1: Um, mm-hmm. Well, no, I think the reason why I make that distinction is because from what I understood of Graham Potter at Swansea, he was bringing on all these sort of like revolutionary ideas of sleeping pods and bringing kind of modern ideas to the team. And maybe a little bit similar to Bob Bradley, those ideas were not necessarily well received. And I think that led to a little bit of a downturn in his fortune, which is where I was paying attention to him at Brighton, because by all accounts, he was a very good young manager and remains exactly that.
0: I'm, I'm really confident that Brighton like, actually went and got him from Swansea and maybe even had to pay a fee to get him. I think he was like hot stuff at the time. Um, okay. we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree and maybe fact check later. Sure. How about that? Um, but here's the thing about Graham Potter. He is doing a thing that I think maybe should interest US fans because it's Guardiola-ish football on a budget with budget players, right? And he's just, only just getting away with it. In the If you look back at last season, it was a strong start where that style of football took everyone by surprise. Mm. Then it was a massive dip and, you know, they flirted with relegation. And then they finished medium strong and coasted into 15th. But over 38 games in the Premier League, they scored 39 goals, which is is not a lot. But they kept this commitment to playing um, expansive, build from the back, quick passing football, which makes them an interesting team to watch, doing it with not much money.
1: So then what is the disparity there between aggressive attacking pretty soccer but maybe a lack of goals
0: it's the well actually the big the big difference uh in terms of what you're doing in terms of a guardiola team is that what you're asking or are you asking why they're scoring so many or not scoring so many
1: not scoring so many
0: why they're not scoring so many just because they had lower quality yeah. players essentially right if gotcha. so you try to mm-hmm. build from the back and play passing football but your striker is Mupai and not Sergio mm-hmm. Aguero or Gabriel Jesus then you get fewer yeah. goals you know what I mean? okay yeah <laughs> um but here's here's how we sort of got away with it because if you think of um the way that manchester city or any other like uh positional play or arsenal defend it's a high press right they will go after you with the high press brighton have got this really nice modified press where essentially just the strikers will come and hassle you the rest of the team will drop back and but the strikers do a good enough job of often just forcing a long ball which then the midfielders and defenders can win so they never ever commit like a full press and expose themselves and take that big risk that maybe a bigger team like a Man City or an Arsenal or a Chelsea is willing to take so it's interesting to just see Mm. how Potter's modified a famous style of play to suit a lower budget team does that make sense Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that you'll get um, from Brighton, and this is my first prediction, you will get the tallest left back in the Premier League. So, my first very <laughs> specific prediction that I will just guarantee, unless something crazy happens, Brighton will field the tallest left back in the Premier League. Dan Byrne is six foot six or six foot seven, depending on which website you ask. I, I dare you to name me another left back who comes even close to that.
1: Six foot six or six foot... I don't even know if I can name another player who wasn't like Peter Crouch who was that height.
0: Right, or a goalkeeper at best, right? So yeah, Yeah. they have this absolutely giant gangly left back. But the reason that Graham Potter likes him as a left back or a left centre back, uh, we'll get onto Brighton's formations in a second because they're crazy, uh, is that he's really good at just taking the ball forward, beating a player and finding a pass. So essentially he's good at progressing the ball out of the back, which is the whole Brighton game plan. But he is not a good defender. So if you're playing against Brighton, um, you'll be impressed by Dan Byrne bringing the ball out. You will burn Dan Byrne if you run at him. Because the reason most (laughs) fullbacks are short is, you know, they have that low center of gravity. And if a winger tries to go this way, that way, imagine like dropping the shoulder one way on Dan Byrne and then going the other. It's going to take him 10 seconds just to go the other way with you.
1: (laughs) I just... I just still want to see the the team photo when they come out and how much bigger he is. Does he have to go front row to make it seem more normal or, or <laughs> squatting down to the front row is he still as tall as some of the people in the back row?
0: They bring a chair and he has to sit on the chair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that.
0: Here's the other thing to, to know about Brighton. As far as I can tell, they had the widest variety of starting formations in the Premier League last season. Uh, Graham Potter picks a formation that matches up against the opponent he's mm-hmm. going against. And changes it midway through the game quite happily. I went, you know how transfer market will list the transfer Marked, Excuse me, will list the starting mm-hmm. formations. He had nine different formations to start a game last season: back threes, back fours, back fives, all kinds of all kinds of combinations. So, my kind of joke prediction is that Graham Potter and Brighton will continue to be the least popular team with the pre-match graphics people.
1: <laughs> but it's funny how that can be. A very different story. Because if it's a team that's struggling and it's nine different formations, the automatic idea there is like, oh, the manager doesn't know his best formation, he doesn't know what the best team is and he's still trying to figure things out whereas with Graham Potter what he's been able to do with Brighton I feel like the narrative has to be he's gotten his players so familiarized with what he's asking of them and what he wants them to do that it's not necessarily about this lineup or this formation or this exact approach it's modifying it for the opponent and successfully being able to do that I think again shows his coaching caliber slash pedigree I
0: think this is a thing that a lot of people don't understand right more important than the formation Mm -hmm is the style and philosophy and the principles of play, right? Like, So, for example, Brighton always um, bring the ball out from the back and pass it out from the back. And they always, for example, have two deep midfielders come and show for the ball every single time. It'll be... Um, uh, Proffer or uh, Stevens or one of the other central midfielders uh, Bisuma or Proper or Stevens will come and show for the ball every single time so they have two, in a weird way they have two deep midfielders even if that's not what the official starting formation says um, and then they'll try and work the ball up the field from there which is, which brings me to their big new signing do you know who Brighton's big signing of the summer is or of the, of the September? I do not Adam Lallana Adam Lallana, Ooh, okay. his contract ran out at Liverpool. Brighton got him for free. He's 31 or 32 years old. I am predicting a late career renaissance and a reminder of how great Adam Lallana is because I think he's a perfect fit for the way that Brighton like to play. I think the sort of brave, short, progressive passing. Adam Lallana loves to get involved in a passing move, loves to produce a little bit of magic in the uh, like the final third. And with all the formations we talked about, Honestly, Adam Lallana can play any midfield or attacking midfield position, right? He can play central midfield, right wing, left wing, central attacking. Can't really play him at striker, but anywhere across midfield he can play. So he's going to give Graham Potter all kinds of options and all kinds of little moments of magic. Um, And as a result, I predict Brighton will definitely score more than their 39 goals from last season, this season.
1: Okay, that, that makes sense. And with another year, more stability players coming in, I'm, I'm with you on that yeah. one. My, I There's a genuine question that I'm going to start with by paraphrasing a joke of the old Jaguar joke of they signed Adam Lalana Did they sign another Adam Lallana for when Adam Lallana is in the shop and getting treatment so they can yeah. still have one to play? I was going to make a
0: mean uh, a mm-hmm. mean prediction that Adam Lalana will definitely get injured, but I didn't want to okay. jinx it. I'm going to wish Adam Lalana all the best for this season with Vlantik. All Lanty. right, because...
1: Yeah. I think to go back to Graham Potter for a moment, I think I remember him. Like maybe, maybe I'm just equating Swansea getting relegated, but I feel like he went through a bad patch at some point and that's all I'm remembering there. And so then I couldn't remember if Adam, because I think you're right. I think he ends up, there has to be like a battle over who's going to get to keep him. With Adam Milan, I couldn't remember if it was injuries or just the quality of Liverpool that kind Actually, of kept him out of that team.
0: I looked into this. It was, it was both, right? So yeah. this past season, he's been mostly fit. The previous two seasons, he was mostly injured. Um, okay. And I think I think Liverpool and Klopp looked at it as, all right, he's 31 or 32. Um, he's fit this year, but we're not going to... We've got so many great midfielders coming in. We're not going to commit to him for another year. Even though everybody loved him, right? I think he's Jordan Henderson's best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, they, they loved having him around. They even extended his contract, right? From the, It was going to end in June. They extended it through July and August to make sure he was part of that Liverpool title-winning team. And I think everyone just agreed it was the best thing for Adam Lallana yeah. to... Uh, to move on,
1: yeah, yeah, because even like like I'm sure this is not the metric that they use when evaluating if they want to keep or let a player go. But if you're a Liverpool fan and you find out one of those front three isn't able to start, like Shikiri when he first comes in, it's like yeah, okay, he's not Mohamed Salah, but Jarrad Shaqiri is a very good player. Minamino when he comes in is this exciting player. Like we're not sure what to expect. He's maybe not a starter, but he's a very capable performer. And then I remember those conversations with Liverpool fans of like, oh yeah, he might might not be able to play. I guess Lallana could go. Like, it's always that sort of, like, he's never going to be, even as a backup player, he's never going to instill that much confidence the way he might if he goes to Brighton and finds a role for himself there. But
0: if we go back to, like, 2015, 2016, he really was Mm -hmm. an exciting player. And I think there's at least another year or two of that in him. I also think Brighton have some interesting attacking players Uh, that he can link up with. Like Pascal Gross, we always talk about. He's got got a bit of magic in his boots. He's always interesting. Um, Mopai, I kind of made a joke about him earlier being not Sergio Aguero. But he actually is a very smart forward who will come and show for the ball, which really helps with the way that Brighton build. And there's a player who didn't get much attention last season, but I think he's actually really good. Can I say his name?
1: Oh, wait, never mind. You started with an L. Now I don't know his name. Never mind. Who did you think it was going to be? Aaron Connolly.
0: It's not Aaron Connolly. Aaron Connolly is fine. Leandro Trossard is a much, much better player than Aaron Connolly. He's a Belgian, plays on the left wing. He's mostly right-footed, but can use both feet. He got five goals and three assists last season, which for a team that only scored 39 goals, that's not a bad little haul, right? That's like no, eight it's not. of their 39 goals, yeah. And I think he's, he's another one that has maybe been overlooked. But if Adam Lallana can help make this attack click, I think you'll see a lot more of Leandro Trossard. I'm, I'm going to give him a specific prediction. I'm going to say... In the first two months of the Premier League season, he will have a magnificent outside of the right foot assist. How about that? <laughs> he's very clever I like at picking out these weird passes and crosses with the outside of his right foot. But he's not like a one-footed player. He's he's just an unpredictable player who adds a bit of pace and acceleration and danger down Brighton's less, uh, left side.
1: I have I have one more question for you about Brighton. Yeah, but I, I don't want to preempt anything. I've got Obviously, all day, Billy. I've got all day. Um, I don't know if this is how you look at teams. I'm pretty sure it's not. I think it's more of a me thing. But I tend to look at them almost like in like, okay, what what is their status of like, are they top six? Are they comfortably mid-table? Are they maybe in relegation zone? And I feel like Brighton have sort of taken Bournemouth's spot, not Bournemouth last year, but Bournemouth the seasons before that of like, yeah, they're just a Premier League team now. They're, they're maybe going to be in the relegation conversation. They're maybe going to be in the like, are they going to finish 10th conversation? But I think of them as a Premier League team that is not necessarily worrying about about the drop
0: i don't know if they're not worrying about the drop because they've only been okay. up a couple seasons it's weird mm-hmm. how quickly we get used to teams right yeah I would agree with you though is that they are like bournemouth of maybe two or three years ago where they're tactically very very interesting because mm-hmm. of graham potter um, okay they have a they have a lot going for them that maybe people don't realize because they just see brighton and think yeah <laughs> do you know what where, I
1: mean? where's Gran- is he english who's that graham potter
0: graham potter's english i believe yeah
1: so they have uh, the new Eddie Howe as well. There we yes, go, it all exactly. works, it all
0: checks. It. Yes, the new Eddie Howe. <laughs> <laughs> he might even be from the Midlands, I want to say, which makes oh, him boy. even even closer to home for me. Um, <laughs> final thing, I want to talk about some Brighton defenders because it's more sure. interesting than you might think. Um, okay. First of all, their defensive plan. If that like quick, remember I mentioned that quick high press from just the forwards where it's, it's a low-risk high press because you don't commit everybody forward. If that doesn't come off and the opposition comes at them, what Brighton do that's very good, and I think is another Graham Potter hallmark, is they do the, um, the sideways press, essentially. They'll force you to one side, and then like the guys from Brighton's... If they force you um, to Brighton's left, the guys from Brighton's right-hand side will come and crowd the middle, and everybody from the middle will crowd the side. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the lateral, mm-hmm. squeezy press that puts teams in lots of trouble. They're very good at doing that and shutting you down in that way.
1: So are they... Not necessarily appointment, but are they a team that if they're playing, I'm trying to find a good team that like, okay, if they're playing Crystal Palace, are you excited to watch that game still or are you going to wait until you see Brighton play, say, Southampton?
0: Ooh, it's interesting. Um, I saw them play Wolves and it was terribly boring because Wolves are uh-huh. also doing their defensive thing. So yeah. I think watching Brighton, do you know what, the opening game, the opening weekend, I think it's Brighton-Chelsea. Mm -hmm. To watch Brighton play against a more open team that's willing to take risks, I think will be very, very interesting. Essentially, I think they're going to be good going up against high quality opposition because the other team will be more confident and the whole thing will be more open.
1: All right. all right, all right. so we can, we can look forward to watching Brighton. We can maybe look forward to watching Burnley, but first, oh, should we talk about today's sponsor?
0: I've just got a couple more players I want to mention that a oh Brighton preview you have, would not be you have more,
1: This is the reality. longest Brighton preview that will happen anywhere in the world, and I I'm, guarantee you.
0: And I'm proud of it. Um, you'll never guess who they've signed out there. Joel Voltman, Ajax
1: center-back. I did not guess him.
0: Ajax center-back and right-back. This is a really good signing for Brighton. He's a high-quality player, and it's good news for Serginho Desk because sometimes Voltman plays right-back.
1: All right. So I'm glad league. to see you've got an an indirect American look out there. Yeah,
0: but I really think it's a useful signing for Brighton because he's a guy who, again, back four or back three, um, Voltman can can get involved. You know, adds like a really high quality Dutch international experience player to, uh, to Brighton's lineup. The other player worth keeping an eye on is their actual right back, who they signed from Chelsea in January, Tariq Lamptey, who genuinely is, the reason Serginho Dest was on my mind, Tariq Lamptey is a Serginho Dest type right back meaning he's really brave with the ball and will just attempt to dribble out of any pressure that's coming his way so just keep an eye on Brighton's right back Tariq Lamptey because when you watch a game he'll be an exciting player that's going to make things happen one way or another
1: that sounds counterintuitive to a coach that wants people playing like different styles but all along the same line to have a player who's kind of going to go on a dribble
0: Yeah, but he often is successful. So if you're looking to um, progress the ball up the field, then having a right-back that can just suddenly beat two people and then play the pass is really, really useful, right?
1: I suppose. I suppose. All right. uh, His name is Tariq Lamptey? Tariq Lamptey.
0: Yeah, he's English. Uh, They signed him from Chelsea for like $4 million uh, this past January. Turns out there are too many good English right-backs, but now Brighton's got one of them. I think every Premier League team gets a good English right-back.
1: Yeah, that checks out. (laughs)
0: So you were trying to move us on to today's sponsor, which I believe is Hymns.
1: You are correct, my friend. Uh, and Hymns would like you to know that 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. I'm going to guess Sean Dyche lost it a little bit earlier. Uh, and the <laughs> Before key thing there invented. would be that Exactly. But once you've noticed it, if you're a pre-Sean Dyche, uh sort of person, uh, once you've noticed it, it can be too late. So you want to take action as quickly as you can. And you want to take action using science as opposed to gas station counter supplements.
0: I mean, I think gas station counter supplements get a bad rap.
1: I I don't really. I don't really.
0: I think actual science pill that's like
1: bright purple and bright yellow is not a thing I necessarily trust.
0: (laughs) Okay, so if um if like Taylor, you don't trust gas station counter supplements, I think wisely you want prescription solutions backed by science. Then Hims is the way to go. You can have an online visit where you. Mm answer some questions you'll be connected with a licensed medical professional and it could save you hours because you won't have to go to the doctor either um and after after those questions the medical professional will review and if they determine it's right for you they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is then shipped directly to your door which is where you live so that's very very handy
1: if you did that like video uh like appointment on a computer right by your front door, and you were very patient. It stands to <laughs> reason you wouldn't have need to move more than like five feet from start to finish just for this whole process.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just sit wait. Under your, the whole if you've got time. a mail slot that comes right in your house, you just sit under it with your arms ready to catch it.
1: Play the Tom Petty song, The Waiting is the Hardest Part on a Loop, until it arrives. <laughs> and That's the way to go. Don't
0: be Keppa. Don't be careful.
1: No, you're don't be it. that. What you should do uh, is go to HIMSS right now because today HIMSS is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, HIMSS will give you a full refund and right now our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to 4hims.com slash soccer. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash totalsoccer.
0: Here comes a disclaimer. Full refund of price paid available for first 90 days supply. Refund request must be made between nineteen hundred and eighty and 80 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products Require an online consultation with a medical professional. We already said that. Who will determine if a prescription is appropriate? Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. One more time, the URL is forhims.com dot com slash total soccer.
1: There we are. So thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring this episode. Daryl, what should we talk about next? Oh, I've got loads
0: more I want to say about Brighton.
1: No, okay, not really. Let's talk
0: about Burnley. Let's talk about Burnley.
1: <laughs> uh, we could go back to, to Brighton if we need to because. To be honest, I do not have that much new to say about Burnley, other than my opening line is water is wet, grass is green, and Burnley are the model Premier League club that no one wants to watch. (laughs) Is that a
0: fair summary? Or play against.
1: Yes. Uh, I would point to their new kit as a very good example of what I'm talking about. I, I saw the the sort of hype for the for the new Burnley, for the new kit. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be? It looks exactly like their old kit because that's kind of Burnley because teams might focus on their flashy new design. Burnley, I think, are focused much more on the behind-the-scenes infrastructure improvement. That's sort of been where they've been investing their money since they were moved kind of from a yo-yo club to an established Premier League club. It's been a lot of behind-the-scenes investment, player development, infrastructure creation to allow them to be a more stable club. And a good example of that would be that they just received, I think, Category 1 Academy standing, which moves them into that next tier, that top tier, which is definitely not where they would have been a few years ago. And I think that kind of shows you the stability that they've brought. And I think Sean Deitch Very integral in that stability. We sort of know what we're getting with Burnley. Uh, They, I don't believe at this point, have made any big-name signings aside from Will Norris from Wolves. Daryl, do you have a lot to say about him, your backup goalkeeper last year?
0: Not really, because we didn't see much
1: him. Or like your third-string goalkeeper from last year, maybe? I'm not even sure. Exactly. Yeah, Rudy was the backup. Yeah, that's kind of telling with what uh, Burnley have been doing so far. Uh, they did get rid of some established names like Jeff Hendrick, Aaron Lennon, Joe Hart. Uh, but we are sort of at a strange situation in which Burnley have been doing what we expect them to do. Where we know they're going to play the very defensively disciplined sort of two banks of four uh, attackers dropping in to kind of facilitate that attack, to really limit attacking or to facilitate the defense, limit attacking chances for their opponents. But what we're not seeing is squad improvement, and that is the one area where there seems to be some tension where there hasn't been in seasons past. I can't tell if that's just me sort of getting into the hype of some of the previews I've read where people are trying to create a narrative because it's not really fun to say, like, yeah, Burnley or Burnley, Sean Dyche is there, they're going to be defensive, they're probably going to stay up next like i think there's a move towards trying to find yeah. some set, little bit of drama and i think him having to play i think had two goalkeepers on the bench multiple times last season because of squad depth issues is maybe where we might see some vulnerability this time around
0: uh, yeah but i also think it's possible people writing previews are just looking for a narrative mm-hmm. right and just yeah. saying that you know burnley are effective at what they do they're going to do it again um they're going to defend in that four four two and then send mm-hmm. some long balls to chris wood um it's It's just not that exciting to write about.
1: Yep. And that is where my prediction comes in. My prediction, we will be having this exact same conversation next season <laughs> because I think Sean Deitch is going to stay. I think they will have a few more signings coming in, but I don't think it's going to be enough that like, oh, Burnley have moved to that next tier. Now they're looking at Europa League spots. Um, I think they're probably going to be heavily linked with at least one big sale uh, at some point this season. And I think we're going to see occasional rumors that Deitch could leave. And I think at the end of the season, they stay up. They're comfortably mid-table. Sean Deitch is still there. I don't know if Billy McNeil will still be there. In January. I don't know if he'll be there next summer. You mean Dwight or, excuse me, I always want to call him Billy McNeil. Yeah. It's Dwight McNeil. No matter what I do, it's the Ainsley-Ashley thing. Yeah. I wrote down Dwight. I wrote down Dwight in all caps, so I wouldn't call him Billy. I still called him Billy McNeil, because he should be that. Dwight McNeil, 20-year-old Englishman, plays as their sort of number 10, but can play out wide. Two goals and six assists in 38 games is not a ridiculous haul maybe if anything gets a ridiculous haul in the opposite way but i think he is going to be an incredibly important performer for them and a 20 year old englishman who can be creative who can sort of provide an outlet who can just do things that maybe some of the other people on the burnley squad cannot yeah. i think will get uh, some attention in a way maybe burnley's defenders won't anymore for reasons we've discussed previously do you, i'm guessing you get what i'm alluding to
0: no, what what are you leading to?
1: Well, the idea that, like, basically Burn- Burnley play such a rigid system. Their defensive system is so rigid, and it's all about sort of create limiting, basically, good scoring opportunities, yeah. keeping them to shots from distance, low percentage chances. But it makes defenders maybe just look a little bit better than they might yeah, be. Yeah, because they're constantly because everybody's- Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's a wariness when it comes to Burnley to splash cash on some of their defensive options. But when you do have a more creative player for them, who you now ha- know has the Premier League pedigree, can be kind of molded into what Sean Dyche needs. needs, like, I think that is where maybe we'll see a little bit of drama for Dwight Billy McNeil this year. But I do think he'll be big for them, and then maybe in January we see some clubs start I... inquiring as to his availability.
0: Yeah, I honestly think... Uh, that if say Manchester United signed Dwight McNeil, mm-hmm. that would be a really good addition to their squad. Yep. Right. If they're not getting yeah. Jadon Sancho, unless they're going unless Bernie are asking crazy money for Dwight McNeil, I mm-hmm. think he'd be a really useful signing. I think he'd be an upgrade on Danny James, for example. Um, but he has all the moves, all the pace. I think he's yeah, he's a really good. Like if Wolf signed him, I'd be very very excited about it.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And that's sort of like like where Burnley are. is <laughs> like If a big club signed them to be a deputy, that could be exciting, uh, because otherwise, as we've said, you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting two banks of four, usually a 4-4-2. Four, four, you're getting Nick Pope and Goal, who's quite good. You're getting James Tarkowski leading that defensive line. Uh, and then, as you said, Chris Wood, uh, the big New Zealander up top, who scores the kind of hoofed long balls to him in the 96th minute <laughs> or the 90th minute to to kind of bring things level or give Burnley the lead. They finished 10th last year. 54 points from 38 games i won't be surprised if they do something similar this time round again
0: here's one thing i would say to people is if you do end up watching burnley for whatever mm. reason um, you there is a, a small pleasure to be derived in watching how they do the thing you talked yep. about Tyler, where they limit you to certain shots right they they sort of it's almost like they use the center backs as guideposts and you can like shoot between them but those shots are pretty much going straight at the goalkeeper, so right. they they angle it so that you can shoot, but you can't really get a good useful fun shot away
1: yeah and and that's like this is the thing that we kind of constantly run into with the uh, weekend review shows is that we don't just want to focus on the top six all the time or the you know the the bigger teams the bigger name teams, but with Burnley, unless we are doing a show dedicated to like how are Burnley so defensively good. You're not going to really like make them appointment television because they aren't. That's not what they're aiming to be. And it makes it sort of hard to get excited for, but then it also makes it easy to write them off as just being a like, yeah, they're good. They're not going to be great. And I think that is where they pick up points on teams yeah. is teams don't see them as an attacking threat. Not to say that they've got sort of any Ballon d'Or candidates. You never know with Chris Wood. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I think that they can also take some teams by surprise because they can be overlooked as just a defensive team.
0: Well, speaking of appointment television, Mm -hmm. are you ready to move on to Chelsea?
1: I believe I am, yes.
0: Chelsea are always worth watching. Oh Um, boy. Here's how I see Chelsea and how Chelsea have changed but not changed despite spending all that money in the transfer window. So Mm. I would call Chelsea under Frank Lampard thrilling, attacking, absolutely willing to go for it in attack and take risks, which is great to watch. But... Vulnerable to counter-attacks because they leave a lot of space wide open. And especially if N'Golo Conte is injured or not available, it's even worse. They also concede quite a few on pieces because of... Mostly, it seems, because of Kepa not being great coming off his line, right? Yeah. So most people will be very, very aware that Chelsea have upgraded their attack by spending a lot of money on Timo Werner, who is magnificent. Hakim Ziyech, who is magnificent in a very different way. And Kai Havertz, who is... Possibly a future Ballon d'Or winner, right? Mm -hmm. So, massive, massive upgrade, I would argue, in attack. In defense, they've added Ben Chilwell and Thiago Silva and maybe Malangsar, unless they do send Sarr out on loan. Mm
1: -hmm. I think
0: when we talked about those defensive transfers, I was quite upbeat about them. But the more I think about it, the more I think about it, Ben Chilwell is magnificent going forward, right? I really enjoy him uh, like joining an attack, getting down that left flank. If he gets down the left flank and Pulisic cuts inside, it, it all looks good. I'm not sure that Ben Chilwell is any better of an actual defender than Marcus Alonso or Emerson was. So I almost think they've, they've slightly upgraded in that he's maybe a bit better going forward, but they've still got kind of the same problem in that they've got an attacking left back who isn't magnificent defensively. And certainly... Not in that kind of Alfonso Davis kind of way, right? Where he can get forward and then he can cover ground that's left behind him.
1: Do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't even mean this as like a disparaging comment, but I do envision a scenario in which like Ben will was signing his contract and then Frank Lampard was like, wait, you can defend, right? You can definitely defend? Okay, cool, that's fine. Yeah, go it's ahead it's and sign. Like he's,
0: <laughs> it's not like he's a horror show defensively. No, not and, at all. And I, I think this about a lot of Chelsea's defenders. Everyone talks about them needing to upgrade their defense. I still think it's the style, I think it's Frank Lampard's gung ho style. Means those players are gonna be exposed, which brings us to Tiago Silva. Okay, and I'll, this is the same thing I said on the transfer show. I love Tiago Silva. I've loved watching him. I love a dominant centre back. I love the way you know Brazilians who wear either number two or three on their back. That signifies I'm the guy that's going to win everything. <laughs> that's that's been Tiago mm-hmm. Silva for a long, long time. But if Chelsea are being hit on the counter in transition when they've pushed too many players forward, all the fullbacks are gone. I'm not sure the magnificence of Thiago Silva is any more effective than Antonio Rüdiger or Kurt Zuma or Andreas Christensen. And maybe even be worse because he's going to be 36 years old and might be trying to get to things that he can't get to. So what I'm trying to get at here, this isn't even a prediction really, it's just um, a general theory of Chelsea. It's going to be more of the same with an upgraded attack and what will appear to be similar defensive problems.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I would extend that to I think they're going to be an early season team that pundits talk about as like, why aren't they better? Why haven't they fixed things? They've signed all these people. Why aren't they better at defending? Yeah. Like, oh, they should have focused more of that like uh, outlay on defenders. And I think that is because it's it's sort of going to avoid the issue that you're talking about. So it's good you're talking about it here, Daryl, is that I don't necessarily think that's a thing that Frank Lampard really cares about that much. I think he <laughs> wants true. to attack and score goals. And if that is your stated objective, then why aren't they better in like shutting down defensive transitions? It's because I don't think that's necessarily a thing they're focused on, at least not right now.
0: Yep, so there we go.
1: Here's my first prediction uh, then. Um, can I say one more thing about that first? Yeah. Which is that... I forget where I first heard this, but I am obsessed with the idea—I think I've told you this previously—that there's a theory that Frank Lampard coaches as though when he played, he didn't realize that he had Claude Makalele behind him. Have you heard that theory?
0: No, but that sounds mean.
1: I mean, yeah, but it's the idea that, like, if you have a person behind you who's doing all the defensive work— so that you never really have to think about what do I need to do defensively or don't have to think about it in too much depth, you might not necessarily prioritize your defensive approach when it comes to your coaching.
0: But here's what I'd say is knowing Frank Lampard and what an absolute professional he was, Mm -hmm. there's no way that he just played and got away with it for years because Makaleli was cleaning up behind him. Do you
1: know what I'm saying? I mean, I I know you're saying that. I don't know. Makaleli has a position named after himself, Daryl. That's what I have to say to that.
0: No further comment from myself. (laughs) I just, I think I just really like Frank Lampard. It's worth Mm -hmm. noting Frank Lampard with all the problems I just described, like going way too, he's tilted way too much into the attack, and like you know Chelsea are really open at Mm -hmm. the back. I think they conceded the most goals Chelsea have conceded since 1997, is what I read. But they also scored a ton more than they usually do as well. He got them in the top four playing that style of football. Mm -hmm. So who can complain? And got Christian Pulisic scoring all kinds of goals. Along the way. So I'm basically saying there's gonna be more of the same, but that means that every time they're on television you should watch.
1: Yeah, and I think for Chelsea fans who sort of went from the stability of Mourinho to not having that stability, and I think there was a period of time in which they thought, like, look, I'll I'll take Mourinho if it means we're winning every game, even if it's one-nil and it's boring. As long as we're winning, it's okay. But then it's kind of not okay. And I think sorry is the same thing. If you're not enjoying the soccer that's on display, even if you're winning, even if you're finishing top four or whatever it's not going to be that exciting. It's never going to kind of like satiate the masses. And I think Frank Frank Lampard saying we're going to outscore you like no matter what, I think that's a pretty popular approach. Yeah, it's
0: enjoyment plus success, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm going to have one more more downer, which is my first specific prediction related to defending. I think there will be an early David Luiz style embarrassing moment for Thiago Silva, where probably on a Chelsea counter, but who knows, uh, Silva will step to something assuming that he's going to get there. And there's going to be some little Premier League pace merchant is going to be a little bit too quick for him and we'll get away from him.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean... It it doesn't mean he's
0: bad. It doesn't mean that it's like he can't cut it in the Premier League. There'll just be a moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I mean, one one mistake does not an entire season make. But I, I also think that, yeah, coming in from the French League and having to get used to the Premier League and training with Chelsea, I think, yeah, you could be you might see him in those moments not quite knowing when to step or being a little bit slow to step or being a little bit maybe gambling too much yeah. because we've also seen that with players who've lost a step as they try to make up for it by guessing what's going to happen so well, then they don't look like they've lost a step.
0: Here's, yeah, here's my take on Thiago Silva. He'll never be slow to step. He'll never be indecisive. It's, it's almost a problem is that yeah. he's very, very decisive. And his whole career he has you know, being decisive and he's got there first and he's made all the right decisions. And we just saw in those Champions League games a couple of moments where he was decisive and he stepped and it was the wrong mm. decision. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm predicting might happen. But let's talk about the more exciting part of Chelsea, which sure. is the attack. Chelsea have all kinds of attackers, right? Here's the list if anyone needs the uh, a quick update. When everybody's fit and available, you've got Tammy Abraham, Olivier Giroud, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Mason Mount and possibly Callum Hudson-Odoi. That was eight players I just listed, I believe.
1: It was. It was. I wrote them down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So take, take all of that in. I am now, Taylor, going to have the bravest prediction of all time. I am going to predict Chelsea's starting attackers for their first Premier League game of the season. All right. And we're going to do it by a process of... Connecting dots like you did with Villa and some sort mm-hmm. of logical, borderline Sherlock Holmes deduction here. Okay,
1: I, I'm I'm excited to hear it.
0: So Chelsea have played one friendly, one preseason friendly so far. In that preseason friendly, they lined up in a four-two-three-one. I think that's probably what Frank Lampard wants to do because it's the only way to get so all those players on the field. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And like a premier version of the four-two-three-one, one would be Timo Werner as center forward, Kai Havertz as the attacking midfielder underneath,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Christian Pulisic to the left, and Hakim Ziyech to the right. That seems like the absolute premier version of what Frank Lampard has available. But here's what's yeah. going on right now. Christian Pulisic still has that hamstring injury from the mm-hmm. FA Cup final. He will not be starting the season. I'm just gonna let that sink okay. in for people because that's gonna yeah, be that, disappointed. That,
1: that throws a wrinkle into that starting eleven. It
0: does. There are also quite a few players in coronavirus quarantine right now. Yeah. So much so that they haven't been involved in preseason training the last week or so and they weren't involved in that friendly. Even if they come back in the next few days, there's not a lot of practice time before the first game. So I am gonna rule out Mason Mount, Fakao Tamori, Tammy Abraham. Uh, Christian Pulisic was part of the coronavirus quarantine group. Mm -hmm. Jorginho, Ross Barkley, Emerson, and Mishi Batshuayi, who, by the way, is still there. (laughs) So there's eight players initially ruled out. So by process of elimination, Uh they are going to start the season against Brighton in a 4-2-3-1, and the front four will be Timo Werner at centre-forward. No, excuse me, excuse me. Olivier Giroud at centre-forward. Havertz underneath Timo Werner to the left, worryingly, yeah. in Christian Pulisic's position, and Hakim Ziyech on the right.
1: So Ziyech, I think, uh, probably erroneously, I think of as more like central. Do you, is that the case or is he uh, like norm, more normally a right-sider or are you just saying that you think he could easily do that job?
0: Most of the time at Ajax, he played on the right wing and gotcha. came inside okay. a lot on his left foot, which is That's, kind of the okay. key to how he plays. Yeah. He so normally when you see the lineup, he's on the right, but he will always, always, always drift in field um, okay, and cool. have a shot with his left. And in fact, that leads me to my first prediction: Hakim Ziyech will take the highest number of average shots per game in the entire Premier League next season. Do you remember watching Ziyech play, only... constantly that, taking that... shots?
1: The only thing I can think of as to why it might not happen is just because with the amount of depth they have, maybe he doesn't play as many games. But then I guess if you're looking at shots per game when he's involved, yeah, I think, I think that's a sad hey, You've gone
0: through the same thought process I did. I was going to yep. say Hakim Ziyech will have the highest number of shots in the whole Premier League. Then I went with average shots per game.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he really is and was dangerous for Ajax um, stepping inside and shooting any time it was even slightly on. He would Mm -hmm. have a go. Not quite in an iron rubber way, because he'd do it from even farther out. And given everything we know about Frank Lampard and how he encourages players to just go for
1: it, Mm -hmm. I don't
0: see that slowing down. So I see a lot of strikes from Hakim Ziyech, a lot of left-footed strikes.
1: I think it's a smart prediction, Daryl, because if people are new to the show, or just listen to this one, or have forgotten when we talked about Pulisic's early games for Chelsea, we did have that kind of theory, or at least I did it, I think you were eventually willing to co-sign on it. I don't want to lump you in, basically, and force you into agreeing, but I think we had this idea that like, maybe Pulisic was still looking to slow it down and find options, and wasn't sort of being as ruthless as some of his teammates. There was that one like, League Cup game, I think it was, when they win 8 or 9 nothing, and everybody's just ruthlessly trying to score and Pulisic wasn't and he stood out for that reason in not necessarily a good way and I think you're absolutely right that some managers would not see us just taking shots and trying things I think Frank Lampard 100% does want that
0: but just think of that forward line again I think it's absolutely thrilling Giroud is such a great connector so if he starts the season at center forward Timo Werner just barreling down the left Kai Havertz underneath Giroud he's so great at Pretty much everything, right? Kai Havertz mm-hmm. is a magnificent footballer, but his later rivals in the box, which Frank Lampard loves, that's going to happen a lot. He's going to do really well. And then Ziyech with that wonderful left foot on the on the right wing. That's my bold prediction for the starting four. And it's also just, again, appointment television, even when Christian Pulisic's injured and not playing.
1: Yeah, you do. You're right. I am a little bit worried about that team over on the left side. Because yeah. if Giroud continues to just be transcendent and amazing, uh, maybe that's where he ends up staying. So we'll have to keep an eye on that one. And if uh, Timo Werner does too well, we'll have to start calling him out just to make sure that uh, Frank Lampard doesn't stop playing Pulisic. But
0: we have learned to have faith in Christian Pulisic over the last year, Mm -hmm. right? So this isn't really a prediction. It's more of a a reassurance. Yeah, Don't get panicky when that front four does really well. There'll be room for Christian Pulisic to come back in in October or whenever he's fit. Um, And we know Lampard doesn't like to rush him back, right? So we'll know that he's fully fit when he comes back. Everything will be fine come Christmas.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we will still see some games where maybe he doesn't play two weeks in a row. And I think uh, Reddit soccer will will melt down occasionally. Yeah. But I think that maybe is about as justified as it was last season, which is to say not that justified.
0: <laughs> One final thing. There are rumors of a new goalkeeper purchase. Uh,
1: yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah,
0: all I know is that Chelsea are heavily, heavily linked with Edouard Mendy, who's a hmm. Senegalese keeper who plays for Rennes. And that he would obviously be coming in to replace Kepa. Um, he's a very tall man. He's six foot six. He could go. He could go eye to eye with uh, Dan Byrne. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this solves Chelsea's set piece problems immediately or not, because they're going to. St- if they start with Kepper, they're starting with a keeper who appears timid coming off his line. If they just throw Mendy in there after he's only been there for like three days, you've got a keeper who's not familiar with his defence and vice versa. So you, I mm-hmm. think this isn't a, this isn't a prediction, but I think Chelsea will still struggle from set pieces in the opening weeks of the season, whether it's a new keeper or the same old, same old. It's the new keeper if or you, the old Kepa.
1: If you had to guess, uh, like, not really an expert opinion, not even, like, connecting dots, but just what do you think happens there? Do you think it just ends up being they stick with Kepa because of the money they've put in and because they've spent money elsewhere, or do you think they will end up bringing somebody else in?
0: I think the fact they linked with a new keeper suggests that they're really trying to bring someone else in. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's so my So you're saying they will? Yeah, they'll sign a new keeper.
1: Or they'll try very hard.
0: It just doesn't always come off, right? right? Gotcha. They're not not trying, let's put it that way.
1: Uh, th- that should be the, the season preview caption for Chelsea. They're not not trying. <laughs>
0: They're not not trying to sign people. All right, <laughs> let's keep this thing moving, Taylor, with sure. today's advertiser, Artifact. Hello, mm-hmm. Artifact, back sponsoring the Total Soccer Show. Artifact make personal podcasts with the people in your life, or rather, they help you make personal podcasts with the people in your life.
1: Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about the one that Daryl and Shannon recorded about Daryl's cancer diagnosis and treatment. I wanted to ask you, Daryl, because like, I think a lot of times when I think about artifact, I think about positive things like you want to commemorate an anniversary or a birth or something like that. For you talking about a fairly heavy topic, like, was it an enjoyable experience? Did that end up being sort of light? Like, is that a thing that you think could be good for people who are dealing with some like difficult situations to talk it out and maybe record it for posterity?
0: Well, I mean, you know me, right? I I mm-hmm. talk things out a lot. So, yeah. it wasn't like I was saying anything for the first time when we mm. recorded the interview. What what was really good for me was having the record of it so that I wouldn't have to tell the story multiple times to multiple people. <laughs> like I can just direct people to, yeah. hey, listen to this. There's this whole thing here. But I would say that if you are the type of person that isn't comfortable talking about difficult things i would recommend it because i always recommend talking um Mm -hmm. and george i think george is a really good interviewer so george can sort of um he'll ask you tough questions but in a kind way so he would if there was a thing you were uncomfortable talking about it george or you know any of the other artifact interviewers i assume they don't have just anyone do it they have people who know what they're doing will be able to guide you through talking about something difficult
1: yeah, exactly. And then you can kind of talk it out, but you have it preserved. I like the idea of just doing that for a bunch of different things. And that way, anytime any anyone asks you a question, you can just direct them to a different URL where it has that in-depth story that then it saves you some time, is I guess <laughs> what I'm saying.
0: Your own personal FAQ.
1: Yeah, exactly. They could do that. I think that would be a, a bit much to bite off right away. But if you did want to get, uh, maybe you wanted to find out what it was like, you could go to heyartifact.com slash TSS. That's where the uh, the origin story is, I think, right? And then there's com slash Daryl. Is yep. that correct?
0: Yep. Yeah, for the cancer story. Yeah. Mm. And if you want to maybe, if you decide to make an artifact for yourself, go to heyartifact.com. Use the code TSS for $40 off your first artifact. That's uh, t- uh, TSS. How can I forget TSS. It's the discount code for $40 off your first artifact.
1: I remember it as standing for Total Soccer Show. I don't know if that helps at all.
0: <laughs> I remember it as the silver surfer.
1: Perfect. Uh, but thank you to Artifact for sponsoring today's show. You came up with that very quickly. Have you have you realized that before or did you just do that on the I, fly? I
0: think probably like two years ago I made that exact same joke and I was hoping no one would realize it was recycled.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sorry to make it very, very obvious then. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but I do not apologize for reco- re- recommending Artifact uh, because we like Artifact, we like George, and they're sponsoring today's show. So thank you to them for that.
0: Let's talk Crystal Palace then, Taylor, because okay. I that's next on the list. I am excited to hear about Crystal Palace because they've made that, that sort of rare thing, that signing from the championship, who might mm-hmm. hit it big.
1: To that, I say which one? Uh, But we'll talk about that uh, in a moment, because I want to start off, first of all, by saying uh, Crystal Palace can now be known as the team that Chelsea stole their third kit from because it's ridiculous. And if they play each other, I don't know how they would wear the same things at the same time. But where I actually want to start, Daryl, is to ask you this question. What season of management will this be for Roy Hodgson? Because I did not know it before I started reading and would not have guessed it.
0: Fourth or
1: fifth? For. for Palace, yeah, for Crystal. Oh, you mean, no, in, I mean in his ever. total career? Mm-hmm. Oh
0: wow. Okay, so it's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I remember him managing Switzerland at Euro ninety six, and I believe he'd already managed Inter before that. I'm going to say thirtieth year, year oh,
1: forty fifth <laughs> year as a manager. Forty fifth year as a manager. Oh, uh, I don't correct. Which is. Both amazing and also a little bit the issue, because I think he has one year remaining on his contract. He will be 73 next year, so the question is, is this a year in which... You sort of build on what you've been doing and you stick with him? Or are you looking at it as we're, we're going to ride this year out and then maybe we're going to change it up? So I think they're trying to figure out if this is a transition year, yeah. if this is a competition year. Um, and that will be a big part of what they do going forward. They're already start, sort of trying to kind of deal with some of the issues that they had last season. Their average age was 30. The league average uh, last season was 27. They had only two players under the age of 27 who played anything approximating meaningful minutes, and that was Jairo Riedewald and Max Meyer, who's been a little bit of a bust. Both of them didn't even get to 800 minutes. So you've got basically a lot of older players playing a lot of minutes for this team uh, while simultaneously having a very large wage budget, the ninth largest in the league. So there are lots of sort of like older players on high salaries that they're trying to get rid of, to pare down, to be able to reinvest. And so what they have had to do is sort of look for value, as you alluded to already, Daryl, and that would be uh, uh, Eze, who I know that you are pretty hyped about. Do you yeah. want to talk about him for a moment?
0: Uh, just at the, the highlights I've seen of him playing for QPR is where they brought him from. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, just Eze dribbling at people is a thing I'm really excited about, and I'm, I just hope he's brave enough to just do exactly the same thing in the Premier League
1: hmm So uh Aberchiase uh is a a youngster coming in from QPR, as you said. Uh and my first specific prediction is that he will meg someone in his first three games. Yes. Not necessarily every single game, but at least one meg uh because he is a I'm not gonna say he's six foot six tall. He is a very tall gentleman, but with very tight control. Yeah. Uh and because of that, I think he is quicker then defenders expect him to be for as tall as he is. And so they tend to sort of like, like think they've got a little bit more time to set up and get in the right position, and he causes problems that way. And then what I see is defenders counter that by diving in and making big challenges to try to kind of extinguish a threat early. And where he really excels is shaping to pass or shoot, and then just doing that one little extra touch after he does it. You know what I'm talking about, where like you'll see the attacker shape, and then right as they wind up, it's just a little outside of the foot that buys him another yard, but it completely destroys defenders. (laughs) So many megs happen that way for him, as the defender comes charging in to block the shot, and it's just a little outside of the foot touch through the legs, and then he's got an even better shooting opportunity. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily going to light it up in terms of goals. I'm not even sure that's quite what he's coming in for, as opposed to chance creation and causing problems. But I do think he is going to be a very exciting player for Palace this season, not just because of the nutmegs, uh, but especially if they keep hold of Wilfred Zaha, which thus far they have. It's another situation similar to Villa of if they can keep hold of Zaha for another year. Uh, and then you partner him with Eze as sort of the two wide options. You've got Jordan Ayew uh, yeah, in the that middle, was be most my, likely.
0: That was going to be my question, is how do you get mm-hmm. both of them in the same team? So you just think one on each flank, and then away we go.
1: Yeah, I think as a. As a is seen more as like a number 10 or more central attacking midfielder uh but I think can very easily play wide and did consistently pop up for QPR in wide positions, if not start out wide to begin with in games. So that makes the most sense to me. I you could go with the 442 and have Zaha and as a Azure two major attacking outlets, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh Roy Hutchins sticks with a kind of more established four three three and goes with that front line that I mentioned earlier very, of Zaha AU. Very generous of you to call it a four three three
0: that, thing, yeah, that right. thing's a four five one. But then to Palace's credit, then when they go forward you know, Zaha mm-hmm. is like unleashed, right?
1: Yes, yes. So I think they've got to try to find some way to get more goals, and I think that means getting more attackers on the field in whatever way they can. So yeah, 4-5-1, but with those two out wide gives you some more threat because last season 17th in the league and average expected goals per game at negative 0.41 expected goals i had to message joe lowry to figure out what negative expected goals means daryl do you know because i did i'm not. gonna
0: guess it means more um more expected goals against them for
1: you got it yeah. there you go well done sir just numbers. Uh, you are sharper hard. than i You are sharper than I. Which means, yeah, for a team that were comfortably mid-table, they did not create many chances. And because they were comfortably mid-table, they finished after the restart with one win, one draw, and seven losses. So not the most compelling of ends to the season, which I think is why a lot of the previews I read were sort of trying, and I texted you one of them, were trying to create this narrative that, like... This is the make or break season for Roy Hodgson that he's been there, but he hasn't established. And, you know, Crystal Palace are prone to pulling the trigger, but I think he's been there three years now. Like this is this is an established Roy Hodgson team. It's just a matter of do they stick with him long term (laughs) or is this scene is kind of the final year of him? And then they change it up and go for a different look.
0: Nothing is make or break for Roy Hodgson. He's been doing this thing for 45 years. He's fine. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he is just fine, yeah. yes. The only, but so, the
0: only thing he could do next is if he finds any evidence that he was born in the United States, if he's in his 70s, he can come and run for yeah. president.
1: <laughs> that is the requirement, yeah. it seems, these days. And I think to some extent those final results are like valued a little bit too highly because certainly that run of form is not a thing that can be easily overlooked. But it's also the case that it's a Crystal Palace team that that were fairly confident that they were going to be okay. As I said, they only had one win and one draw in those last nine games. They still finish with 43 points. And they do come back from the restart and get that win, which gets them to 42. And we know 40 is kind of the invisible line for teams feeling safe and that it's exactly where they were. So I think to some extent the end of the season was more about them... Being on the beach, because at that time of the year, most of them would have been on the beach, except that the season was extended. So I don't put that much stock into the way they finished. Instead, I see it more as they were able to take off seven or eight games because of how they started at the beginning.
0: But enough about last season. What's happening Mm -hmm. next season? Who's this other exciting signing that I haven't thought of?
1: Thank is you very I, much, because I doing? almost forgot about him. Nathan Ferguson, 19-year-old right back on a free from West Brom. And he is a player, I will admit, I completely overlooked, except that I recognized his picture from when I played FIFA as a player that I was always trying to sign. And I remember thinking, like, oh, has he fallen off because he moved on a free? But he's only 19. I remember him being very good. And the first thing I saw when I looked it up was Slavon Bilic, the West Brom manager, being furious because Nathan Ferguson left on a free after spending, I believe, his entire career since he was like eight years old at West Brom. But kind of s- decided that was enough. He wanted to move on. So he doesn't agree to a contract extension. Slavon Bilic, I think, was frustrated by not being able to get any compensation and feeling like maybe Palace had potentially had some conversations before they were supposed to. that. That is maybe reading between the lines, but he was so mad because now West Brom come up and they don't have this 19-year-old right back who I don't know if he will be an automatic starter at the beginning, but I think he will be by the end because his p- positioning is solid, his speed is excellent, the way he reads the game defensively is, is I think not going to make him stand out in a negative way, which is a good way, I think that's what, what uh Jurgen Klopp said about Christian Pulisic. I'll extend that to the way I think Ferguson will look uh coming into Crystal Palace. And then I think is just capable and calm on the ball and can spread that ball wide and then make those overlapping runs and I think helps create more attacking opportunities for Palace, which as I said previously, is a thing they desperately need.
0: Alright. So have we got any prediction? Your prediction was the uh the as a nutmeg, right? Have yeah. You got mm-hmm. any more?
1: That's pretty much it for me, just because i like I don't really want to predict much about Wilfred Zaha because it continues to be the same thing of could stay, seems like he wants to move some teams rumored, no official offers, and none of the big, big teams coming in with the big, big money that could really force Crystal Palace into action. So, I think they're another team, not to beat a dead horse here, but I think they're another team that we won't really know what they're going to be or how good they're going to be until probably late September, which is when we maybe will start seeing those bids from Zaha, and maybe they start bringing in more players once they know exactly what they need. So I think it'll be a maybe slow and mildly confusing start. But not anything like culminating in Roy Hudson uh, feeling pressure. I think the
0: Zaha problem is he signed that big contract, right? Mm-hmm. He already signed, I think it goes to like twenty twenty three or something, like a reasonably long term contract mm-hmm. for a lot of money. You talked about their wage, but I want to say he's only one fifty, one seventy, two hundred. Yeah, let's split. Let's split it in the middle and say one seventy five, maybe. Um, like he's on a lot of money, so it's mm-hmm. quite prohibitive. If you're a team that's willing to take a gamble on Wilfred Zaha, Palace can ask for a lot because he's got a long-term contract. And then he's probably going to ask for a little raise in his wages, right? So he's going to mm-hmm. ask for a massive, massive salary. So it might be that Zaha's kind of unviable at this point.
1: Yeah, because... At that wage, barring being one of the biggest teams in the world or the most lucrative teams in the world, you're not really gonna bring him in unless he's a guaranteed automatic starter. Yeah. And for a lot of the teams, at least in the Premier League, like certain I think he would make many, many teams in the Premier League above Crystal Palace better. I yeah. think you'd be a very good player for them, but I wouldn't say he is an automatic starter for yeah, exactly. Liverpool or Man City or even Manchester United, given the options they have. Chelsea, I wouldn't say that either. Maybe Leicester City, but that's not a club where they're gonna spend a ton of money or be comfortable with those wages i don't think so like maybe it's tottenham maybe it's wolves who knows but i think he will sort of find a lack of suitors where maybe we expected there would be a couple more at this point point.
0: and if he's happy at crystal palace i love in there because i love yeah. seeing teams that are sort of they have a star player who like most things can go through and he's just got the chance mm-hmm. to shine all the time instead of yeah you know having to do <laughs> having to do jose's running
1: yeah, <laughs> and I think he is like he's on a large salary, justifiably so. Yeah, for sure. I think there's because the players like Ma- cream, right? yeah, but there's the players the larger the bigger issues would be say Max Meyer who has not performed the way I think was expected when he came in yeah. Mamadou Saku, Christian Benteke still there on I think Mamadou Saku's on over a hundred thousand I think Christian Benteke is as well for players that you would not really think demand that level of salary so I think this season is going to be about sort of maintaining the status quo keeping them comfortably mid-table, but also finding ways to start trimming down that wage bill and getting younger. And that's where their signings have been so so far. They're bringing in a 19-year-old and I believe a 20-year-old as their signings to maybe get that average squad age down. Not that that's the objective, but the sort of overall uh, results of getting younger.
0: But what I'm hearing, though, is the big picture is that Palace are going to be at least a little bit more exciting because you've got Zaha on one side and Eze on the other side, right? As long as they're both there, yes. Now with magic from both sides.
1: Yeah, Aberici, Eze, uh, not easy. He wants that stressed. He did a whole uh, Twitter video about how to say his name.
0: And he's basically an upgrade on Andros Townsend, right? Yes. Yeah, Andros Townsend
1: is still there and can certainly come in and deputize on the wing if need be. Uh, And then if City, or excuse me, if Crystal Palace go with the sort of 4-4-2 with two conventional attacking options, that's where Townsend could play. That's where Eze could play on the other side, and then Wilfred Zaha and Benteke or somebody else in the middle. Jordan Au probably more likely than Benteke.
0: Okay, you ready to talk Everton?
1: Sure, right. I'm very excited to talk Everton.
0: Yes, I am too. Of course, it's all about Hammers Rodriguez because mm-hmm. that transfer was made official today. I was really worried yep. about doing this preview and making it all Hammers centric, but they hadn't it was actually nice of them to do it.
1: it. Yeah, they did it for you, Daryl.
0: They sure did. And for Everton fans who seemed very, very, very excited,
1: (laughs) here's what I love: you, you talked so much so that when I said it was a good idea. The response to that seemed to be, don't don't do this, don't reverse jinx us, please don't do this. You well
0: because you jokingly said that he's going to injure his ACL in the first game of the season. That's what people. I think, I think that was about. like
1: because I think of myself as a reverse jinxer, uh-huh. and I really like James Rodriguez, and I really really like Carlo Ancelotti, so I want this to work out. And I felt like just writing like I think this is going to be great is a recipe for disaster. But I think if you call out the reverse jinx, it cancels it. That's the way I think. Right I now.
0: think you might have overthought that tweet. You think. <laughs> Um, here's how I see what Everton did and Carlo mm. Ancelotti did. Carlo Ancelotti made Everton a better team last year, right? Playing mm-hmm. that. 4-4-2 with and Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front. Um, but he was never happy with that midfield, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Guilfrey Sigurdsson, Andres Gomez, or Gilfrey Sigurdsson, Tom Davies midfield. I think Fabian Delft was injured for a long time and Gabmin was injured, still is injured for a long, long time. But I think he absolutely looked at central midfield and said, this needs fixing. So... Mm. Carlo Ancelotti has gone out and, I would argue, bought players for Everton that Everton, even with the money they've now got to spend, would otherwise have been unable to attract. But they've been bought in based on the fact that Carlo Ancelotti has a relationship with James Rodriguez and with Alan, who they've signed from Mm -hmm. Napoli. Is Is that a fair read of things?
1: Yeah, I forget what. I'm sure you've seen that meme during the rounds of like it might have been Big Sam. It was like Big Sam shaking hands with like Andre Gomes, and then now you have Carlo Ancelotti and Hamas Rodriguez, and it's like it's a it's a different two years basically.
0: Exactly. So it's a it's a gigantic upgrade in Everton's midfield, yeah. and there's still talk of them signing um, Abdoulaye Decore, who I'm I'm has still that not, not happened yet.
1: I don't I definitely think thought so. that you it already know, happened. Oh wow, um, okay. the medical
0: has happened, but the actual transfer hasn't happened. It's probably it's probably happening. Um, Decore I read as someone who he's maybe not the greatest technical footballer of all time but he will cover ground right he will absolutely oh, yeah. be all over the place and the same can be said for Alan Allen covers mm-hmm. ground and is all over the place and then even James for a number 10 is a really hard worker I would mm-hmm. argue um, but the question becomes how do you fit all these people into Everton's first team?
1: Carlo Ancelotti raises an eyebrow while he cont- contemplates that exact question
0: I think I have the answer. Here's what. Here's what I think is going to happen, Taylor. You ready for this? I'm ready. I think Carlo Ancelotti will either stick with the four four two because you don't want to break up that Dominic Calvert Lewin Richarlison partnership because it was really good, right? Essentially, flick on and dribbly guy, right? That's the uh, the, the two guys, Dominic Calvert Lewin. And Richarlison, if you played like Rodriguez as a number 10 yeah. underneath a striker, suddenly Richarlison is bumped out to the left wing where he's less happy. So
1: mm-hmm. would you
0: agree that's maybe not the ideal thing? Because you upgrade with James, but you downgrade yeah. with removing Richarlison's effectiveness. Agreed. I think James Rodriguez is going to play a sort of right midfield, but with license to drift into the center position. Okay. Uh Because again, he's very left-footed, right? And Seamus Coleman, who's still the right back likes to overlap. I can see that situation where he'll line up in a 4-4-2 defensively, but when they start going forward, Hammers will drift and take up a spot just behind Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Then the central midfielders could be, say, Alan and Decore, who will just cover ground endlessly and eat opposition teams alive. Um, The other option is a thing that Ancelotti has tried a few times, a 3-5-2 where you can just straight up have the two strikers, Richarlison and Dominic Cavett-Lewin, and then you can have those same three central midfielders, um, Alan, Decore, um, and James, given not exactly a free role, but at least he can uh, rest on the support of those two midfielders behind him. So my big thing is I think this is going to work.
1: Is there is there a possibility or could they find a way to do a... Because I think you're right. Either one of those options seems plausible. The other one that sort of jumped out to me but isn't necessarily a thing that Carlo Ancelotti does is a 4-3-1-2. And it gives James Rodriguez the freedom to do whatever he wants. You keep that I mean, partnership. The question then is, sacrificing the width and who do you have as your three midfielders? I think
0: you're going back like 10, 15 years here, right? For mm-hmm. what Ancelotti did with Milan where he had a, yeah. a separate set of players. But maybe, maybe. I think it's possible, especially because... Outside of maybe Theo Walcott, there aren't that many out and out wingers on this right. on this Everton team. So yeah, maybe a 4-3-1-2 could work. Maybe you've caught it. Maybe you've gone back in time, Bill and Ted <laughs> Three style, and and seen, seen what was happening.
1: Yeah. Here's here's where that comes from, though, is like, I know that I like Thomas Rodriguez and have a soft spot for him. I had a genuine reaction to you saying you're gonna push him out wide. I'm just like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's where that's mostly coming from if i'm totally honest
0: well here's my first prediction whichever way they line up and i am Uh now more interested in this four three one two because it kind of works right except the fullbacks can't get forward as much because um i guess they can okay yeah so yeah four three one two i'm into it um either way you can have hammers and richarlison and they will combine for at least 10 goals meaning oh, yeah. there will be 10 Everton goals that are either Hammers assisting Richarlison or Richarlison assisting Hammers, And there oh, are two, two ways that this happens. It's either James picking out Richarlison with a crafty left-footed through ball, because that's one of the things we love about James Rodriguez, right? He sees these passes and then he can bend them into space for you to run onto. I'm imagining Richarlison just like darting through at pace, being on the end of a, a James through ball. The other version of it is... Richarlison, like, accelerating to the end line and cutting back and finding Hamez like, closer to the top of the box for a Hamez left-footed strike. So at least 10 goals where the two of them are goal and assist combined.
1: Everton are going to be good, aren't they? I think I'm just possible. realizing this now. Yeah. Like, you bring in Carlo Ancelotti, that's one thing, with the squad they had. But you start bringing in the names they have and with the connection they have to him – I th- and they're just—it's still because of the the money and talent at other clubs. I almost feel like if, if you're playing, I don't even Wolves. If you're playing like Wolves, Everton, and then Arsenal, you're probably going to like overlook Everton to those other two opponents, much to your own detriment, because they seem Everton like the ones who could potentially punish you for even a slight overlook. I have a feeling they're going to start very strong.
0: Yep. Here's my other prediction: an end of the season prediction. All right. Alan will be player's player of the season.
1: Wow. Wait, at Everton or like all players in the Premier League? At Everton. Okay, okay. That makes sense.
0: Everton players player of the season will be Alan. I went back and watched a load of uh, footage of Alan at Napoli. um, And I mentioned his constant, constant running, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not headless chicken running. It's constantly, sometimes it's to go and make a big slide tackle, right? Sometimes it's to go and close someone down. Sometimes it's just to track a runner, Um, who's got away from someone else. He will charge headfirst really fast, make sure he gets there. He's constantly sprinting to cover potential danger. On top of that, he's making big tackles that people will notice. Uh, But I think the uh, the constant sprinting to cover and closing down problems before they happen... Is more noticed by teammates than by the media, if that makes sense. So that's why I think he'll be player's player of the season. He'll also catch the eye because he's not just a defender, right? When Alan gets the ball, he's got some skills. This is a Brazilian. He's got lots of nice little moves. Um, he finds. Re- he's really good at spraying the ball around, finding clever passes. Um, and, you know, he finishes for the occasional few goals as well. He's essentially a best-case scenario Western McKinney. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you- okay. I see what you mean there, but for a moment I was like, "How dare you again?" But yes, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. I feel like we're 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 definitely going to get at least one article about like Everton's most important performer this season and why it's not James Rodriguez. Yes,
0: I think it could be, that. and that's why I'm putting him down as players player right. of this season. Um, here's another really good, um, uh, I think, specific prediction for you. At some point this year, Everton will field their most expensive bench ever, because bringing in all these upgrades. There's a oh, lot
1: of about this. quite
0: expensive players left. Yeah, midfield. there are. So we've, <laughs> yeah, just, there are. we've just talked about the starting, possible like starting attack at least, right? That mm-hmm. leaves out Guilfrey Sigurdsson, who cost 40 million pounds. It leaves out Iwobi possibly because um, Anthony Gordon seems to be Ancelotti's favoured person at left midfield. You know, he that young guy who played a lot of the um, a lot of the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got Gilfrey 40 million, Iwobi 35 million. Moisey Ken is the third choice striker in a two striker oh, system. At twenty nine oh, no. million, you got Andrew oh, no. Gomez twenty two million, Theo Walcott uh-huh. twenty million, maybe even Chenk Tosun at twenty seven million, unless they loan him out again.
1: Oh, poor Jank! Poor Jank!
0: But I think it's just—it's kind of testament to how Everton have slightly wasted yeah. money, but now have somehow, through Carlo Ancelotti, broken through to the next level, and it's kind yeah. of okay no. to let that yeah. money rot on the bench.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And I think you're absolutely... Thank you. That's the best way to put it, in my mind, at least, is that with Everton, a lot of the times when we do these conversations, when we have these conversations, it's like, I think I can see it. I think I can see how, like, okay, that signing, you bring in Schneiderlin, and you add a... who, well, okay, okay, yeah, like, that that could be good. This time around, it feels much more like, oh, yeah, no, that's going to be good. That's definitely going yeah. to work.
0: I, I just love the... Whatever happens, they're going to have an all-action midfield, plus mm. James Rodriguez. So I think it's just a great combination of... uh Defensive ground covered. Um, and there's no one who's just a pure destroyer. And you've got the magic of Hamez. And I think essentially, we've always talked about how Hamez is so great for Colombia, right? Because they're not like a top tier nation and they're willing to build their whole team around this one player. I think Everton are basically the Colombia of the Premier League, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if, yeah. Imagine if Hamez was Brazilian sure. or German or French, they wouldn't do the same thing where it's like give the ball to him every time because they're just Mm -hmm. this next-level kind of team. He might not even get in some of those teams, but it's different with Colombia. And I feel like Everton are at the same level where they're a very good team, but they're not a top-tier team, and so they're willing to build around one guy. That's why I think it's going to work.
1: All right, you've talked me into this one. Okay. Uh, I am now Googling to see when we get our first Everton v. Brighton game. (laughs) Uh, Why is that? Saturday, the 3rd of October it looks like uh, because we talked about how Brighton could be sneaky fun to watch and we, we are confident that Everton will be fun to watch so let's yeah. get those two teams together and see what happens <laughs>
0: I've got a couple more bold predictions just quick ones mm-hmm. for you you ready for this one Taylor? this yep. is me putting a lot of faith in my fellow man you will not catch an English language commentator mispronouncing Hammers's name this season
1: you're yeah, not going to get a James?
0: you're not going to get a single James out of an English language commentator
1: if if you do they're doing it on purpose like as a joke. i'll say that or like or it's it's a deliberate like i'm not pronouncing th- like i'm not pronouncing it this way so i'm not going to do it for this guy like that sort of thing like in the same way that they know it's not martinez but they continue to do that because <laughs> it's either you do it or you don't it's why some people still say degea yeah uh, and i think so maybe you'll get like one Old, like maybe Graham Souness will be like James Rodriguez <laughs> deliberately. But my, yes, I'm with you.
0: My theory is that James is the most high mm-hmm. profile player with a name that you would expect English commentators to mispronounce and pundits to mispronounce. I'll extend it to pundits bravely and include Graham Souness. Um But because of his goal at the 2014 World Cup and his profile at the 2014 World Cup, everybody in soccer learned to pronounce James correctly. And no one wants to be uh caught out. So I, I think we'll go the whole season James, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I think it because like he because I, I remember when we first heard that and we were like, oh it's James, not James. Yeah. That's, we learned in twenty fourteen, like, right? We did. But I think if, if like Everton had another player in their squad who was also named James, I think he gets called James every single
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> if James McCarthy's still there.
1: Yes, <laughs> Hamas McCarthy, <laughs> Hamas Milner. And that's it. Hamas Bond. Those are my Everton predictions. Uh, with that, I have one question for you yeah. from some of the teams we've talked about. I, I've, it's an England question. Of the three potential goalkeepers that could play for England from the teams we've mentioned, it would be Jordan Pickford, Nick Pope, Tom Heaton. If they're fully fit, who is the one of those three that you would most like to start for England at the Euros? I'm still
0: happy with Jordan Pickford, uh, just because uh, he seems better with his feet than anybody else, and that's what Southgate seems to value the most.
1: All right. Asked and answered. Yeah. That was easy, wasn't it? It was. (laughs) I was just curious, because suddenly England have so many good goalkeepers, or at least I think good goalkeepers. Maybe Chelsea should sign one of them.
0: They have a lot of potentially good goalkeepers, right? We're not not quite sure. Did you hear what happened today with uh, two young England players?
1: Uh, I did. Yeah, And it's not my favourite thing I've heard.
0: No, because one of them plays for Man United, right? So Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden both broke quarantine in Iceland, essentially having girls back to their hotel room. Mm -hmm. And I think the evidence or the reason they got caught is because the girls recorded some of their conversations.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know it's bad when the club is like, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> like Manchester United initially, I think we're like, you know, we're looking into it. We've heard some stories. And then they're like, yeah, no, we agree. That wasn't great. <laughs>
0: we saw the video.
1: Um, we're going to take some action.
0: Yeah. I haven't looked at the time, Taylor, but I'm guessing we've gone along here. Um, oh, you think? Yeah. So I'm going to bring this to a close by saying thank you, Mr. Rockwell, for taking the time to talk to me about seven Premier League teams today.
1: Hey, Daryl. Yeah. Right Back. At you, Thank buddy. you very much. Um, <laughs> Drawn it out.
0: Listeners, thank you for listening. We will, of course, be back tomorrow with another seven teams. The next seven alphabetically, you can guess who they are. We will talk to you again tomorrow.